No one wants to hurt you or your daddy. You liar. You're supposed to kill him, and I know it. I'd advise you to do what my daughter says. I mean, you know why she's wanted. Remember the soldier at the airport? You met a trespasser. I want you to get the hell off my property. We're government agents, sir. These two folks are wanted for questioning, nothing more. I don't care if they're wanted for assassinating the president. Show me a warrant to get the hell off my land. We don't need a warrant. You do unless I woke up in Russia this morning. If you'll just get in the car, we can discuss all this. Honest to gosh, there's nothing going on here except... We know what's going on. Please don't make me do anything. Get out! Don't you understand what she's doing? Can't you feel it? Don't be stupid. If we could only discuss this, please. Watch it, Andy, watch it! bonus episode of the movie clinic podcast i am one of your hosts sherry and this is my husband david on this episode we will discuss 1984's firestarter yeah and this is i guess what you would say our second part of our stephen king month here uh, if you want to go back and listen to our previous episode where we cover uh the dead zone from what 83 if i remember correctly then uh you know like i said we just thought we would throw in uh, another stephen king one for this month to uh you know kind of round it out and i would like to do more stephen king month sometime down the road because there's many adaptations to cover some of them maybe not as good but they're worth looking at and we in our first year we did maxim overdrive Have, and we or did our second year we've done Outside of the Dead Zone, we've done Maximum Overdrive, mm-hmm. and then we did A Running Man, which is a That's Stephen right. King adaptation right. as well. Yeah. But I would like to cover more of these at some point in time, but 
I thought this was a good one to pick for this uh, month because the dead zone in this film are mm. not really horror. They're a little more thriller, kind of sci-fi-ish, I guess you could mm -hmm. say in a way. Psychological. Yeah, and psychological. Yeah. So I thought this one was a good pick to go along with that. Did you want to just go into your uh, background, your history with this one? I was only about six, so I saw this on VHS. Oh, yes. And I loved, you know, anytime you can have be a child and have powers, it's it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. You know, so oh, yeah. that was, you know, and she's a little girl. I was a little girl. I can't imagine if I had the power to set things on fire. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that might be a good thing. You know, it's one of my probably... It's a it's a fond memory, yeah, from oh, my childhood. I could see that. It's I mean. not it's not one that I watch. You know, have watched a lot over the years. We tend to watch a lot of the same stuff in my house. Like if we we watch something, we would watch it over and over and over and over. So this wasn't in a regular rotation. Not not as I got older. I mean. Oh, okay. I got like you. when I, I was you. younger, yeah, I remember watching it a lot. Okay. At the time we planned to do this podcast, when was the last time you had watched this movie before? It's probably been over 10 years, 15 wow, really? years. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was kind of curious about that, but is that your kind of history mm -hmm. on, going on in this yeah. one? Okay. This was one, uh, naturally, I did see this in the theater when it came out at our old Foothills Mall Theater that was in uh, my hometown, which is long gone now. But I do remember going to see this one. I remember as a kid, I, like you, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was uh, it was very good. I remember I was, I think at the time, I was kind of surprised that it wasn't really a horror movie exactly because by that time I kind of got used to Stephen King being more horror. But, you know, that, that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It's one I revisit from time to time over the years, and I do remember watching this one late last year. So I remember when you brought it up to like want to do it on the podcast, you know, I was pretty interested in, mm -hmm. you know, jumping into this and kind of breaking it down and checking it out. We'll get into the reviews at the end. I do like this movie, but I do have problems with it too. But okay. we'll get into that as we go. But I guess uh, with that all said and done, we'll drop the trailer in here and then come back with the cast and crew. Charlie McGee is a healthy eight-year-old girl, normal in every way. Charlie, now watch what you're doing. But one. Did she do that? What are you going to do with her? Well, bring her here. So you can do all your tests. And you give her to me. Charlie has the power. Do something bad. Will you still love me? Oh, Charlie. She can set things on fire. Something's happening in there. With just a glance. It is a power she does not want. Stick with him. Daddy, I'm scared. So am I, honey. A power she cannot control. Back up. And each night, she prays to be just like every other child. We haven't got her yet. We will. But there are those who will do everything in their power to find her. To control her. Charlie! And maybe destroy her. Charlie! Come to me, Charlie. Go! You're gonna have to burn it down. I mean, burn it all down. Charlie McGee is Stephen King's fire starter. Will she have the power to survive? All right, let's see here. Cast and crew for Firestarter, 1984. 
And we're going to start out, of course, with uh, director Mark L. Lester. And he has done such films as Class of 1984, Commando, Showdown in Little Tokyo, and Armed and Dangerous. Which is, some ways, those other films are very different than this one. Particularly Commando, which is just probably one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's like most, you know, you know, <laughs> all-out violent you know, action movies. I mean, as far as I know, I mean, I think he's still working today. I think he works mainly in like TV and stuff now. He's but... doing, well, he did two things last year, Nutcracker Massacre. Okay, I've never heard of that one. And Hunt Club. Oh, those are movies? Yeah, he was a producer and executive producer. Oh, okay. Because I know I thought I'd seen him pop up in credits on TV shows and things. Oh, and he did now. Exorcist Vengeance, too. Oh, I think. Well, Is that I'm, that new one? It might have been that TV series that was out, the Exorcist TV series. I'm not really sure. I don't, I've never heard of that. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it sounds like he is definitely still working steady. Next, uh, we jump uh, into our lead, uh, Drew Barrymore as Charlie McGee. And she's been in films, of course, such as E.T., Cat's Eye, Charlie's Angels, Poison Ivy, and Ever After. And don't forget Bad Girls. And Bad Girls, which is one we covered on the podcast. Yeah. And also, she appears in uh, the movie Donnie Darko, which I really like a lot. Watch the theatrical cut. Don't watch the director's cut of that one. And I think now, isn't she like, don't she have like a talk show or something now, if I remember correctly? I don't know. I, I don't have no clue what she's doing now. I thought I, I thought I seen that she had a talk show. At least she had one at one time. I don't know if she still does or not. And then next, we go to David Keith as Andy McGee. And he's been in such films as Why of the Eye, Gulag, The Rose, The Two Jakes, and The Further Adventures of Tennessee Buck, which is a terrible movie. I remember watching that when I was <laughs> younger. He's appeared in um, films, too, like uh, Lords of Discipline and Officer and a Gentleman. I don't know if you've ever seen Officer and a Gentleman or um, not. I thought I don't think so. Yeah, but he... Uh, he's not somebody I really see around in films that much anymore. I remember he popped up in that Daredevil movie with uh, Ben Affleck. But outside of that, I don't think I've seen him in anything after that. I imagine he's still working, but maybe not as steady as he once was. And now we come to another person who, I guess by default, this was a Martin Sheen double feature this month because he appeared in The Dead Zone and he appears here as Captain Hollister. Of course, he's been in such films as Badlands, The Departed, Apocalypse Now, Hear No Evil, and Siesta. And he was the president on the West Wing for, I think, pretty much nearly his entire run. And like I said, I guess I didn't think about that by default. Yeah, we had a Martin Sheen double feature this month. He kind of stepped into this movie at the last minute. I'll have to check into my trivia when we get there, but I don't think he was originally supposed to be in this. And next we go to George C. Scott as John Rainbird. And he has been in such films as Patton, Dr. Strangelove, Rage, The Changeling, and The Exorcist 3. And he passed away in 1999. And next we move on to Art Carney as Irv Manders. And he's been in such films as House Calls, Going in Style, St. Helens, The Late Show, and Steel. His name was Irv in this? Irv. Uh, I, I wrote herb. Yeah. No, <laughs> thought no, they were saying herb. It's herb. R-V. But uh, most people probably know him the most as on the Honeymooners. Uh, Ralph Cramden on the Honeymooners. Mm-hmm. Or no, Ed Norton, I mean. Yeah, and he passed away in 2003, which I thought he passed away sooner than that. I was kind of surprised when I read that. 
It seems like he would pass before Scott did. Well, George C. Scott was a uh, excitable man by all accounts. He was a kind of a heavy drinker a lot was of he? his life. Yeah, so by all accounts, a lot of people were shocked he didn't pass away well before he did. So, and then next we go to Louise Fletcher is Nor- Norma Manders. And she was a nurse ratchet, and one flew over to Cuckoo's Nest, which is a great movie. And anybody who hasn't watched this on the podcast, go do yourself a favor and watch it. Mm, I always remember her as the grandmother from um, Flowers uh, in the Eye. Flowers in the Eye. I had that one right here next. Oh, my goodness. Yep, she was in that. And uh, Brainstorm. And she was in The Exorcist 2, which I'm sure is a movie she would have liked to have forgot about. And uh, Blue Steel. And she passed away in 2022. And finally, I have who is in a very small role in this movie, Heather Locklear, who plays Vicki McGee. And she's been in such films as Money Talks, Double Tap, and The Return of Swamp Thing, and Uptown Girls. And of course, mainly people probably know her more for TV such as T.J. Hooker and Dynasty and Melrose Place. But like I said, her part in this is very small. I guess it, it's an important role, but it's a small role. But do you have anybody you want to talk about? No. Okay, I guess if you want to, you can uh, jump into the plot synopsis. Okay. We start out, this is a universal picture. Dino de Laurentiis. Dino. D- Dino? Dino. Like, like, the, <laughs> like the, the dinosaur on uh, Flintstones. Okay. Yeah. Dino... De Laurentiis. De Laurentiis, yes. Presents. Um, we start out in a city. I think this is Virginia. And you got to mention the very cool score from that Tangerine Dream. I love the oh, opening credits music, the score to this yes, movie. Yes, they play that a good bit in this. Yeah, I mean, I love the score to this movie. That's one of the things I wanted to pinpoint pretty early mm-hmm. on because I thought the score was very good. What <clears> you're saying, I think you're right. It's a... Virginia? Well, it says Virginia later on yeah. is where that the shop is on the screen, but I don't know. I'm assuming they're in the same state it, probably, at this point. Probably, yeah. You see a man running through, you know, crowds of people on the in the city streets. Yeah, then this is uh, Charlie and Andy. Yeah, and this is our kind two of main characters. The, yeah, they're on the run here. It's like they're running from somewhere. They just keep kind of looking behind them. After a short time, you see what they're looking at. There's like a car that is kind of slowly following. There's three men inside, and they seem to be kind of pinpointing that man and little girl. Yeah, but you notice that they're very hesitant to get close to them. You know, it's like they're trying to track them, but they don't know exactly how to get Mm -hmm. them, if that makes any sense. You know, it just keeps kind of following the man and the little girl, and she asks... You know, can they stop because she's tired? Yes. And he's carrying her. He just seems a bit frantic. He just kind of keeps rushing through people, kind of pushing people. and It's like he's trying to get away. Don't know where to go. And yeah. you still see that car following him. One of the men in the car says that Andy noticed him. He looked back and he saw him and he says, be careful with him because he can make us do whatever he wants. Yeah, and that's the first hint. That yeah, they, you're like, what? There's something going on with him. <laughs> Two of the men get out of the car and start to chase them on foot. Andy kind of cuts across the street real quick and gets in a cab. Yeah, he steps into the cab and he tells the driver to take him to the airport. He puts his hands on either side of his head and it kind of makes this noise. 
Yeah, like suckers. this doing, oing, oing, yeah, oing yeah, kind like of noise. Ricocheting kind of noise. Yeah. Tells the cab driver, drive. Go to the airport. Well, first what he does is Andy looks in his wallet and he only has a dollar. And he says, I'll give you $500 to take us to the airport. Because the driver doesn't want to go to the airport. It's too far. Too far. And then Andy hands it to him. And that's when he does his thing with his what they call the push. And then, of course, when that driver looks at the dollar bill, it turns into a $500 bill in front of him. So it makes him see it look like it's a $500 bill, but it's only a dollar. And then all of a sudden, that cab driver is more than happy to take him to the airport. <laughs> Poor guy. He's only getting a dollar. <laughs> And this driver of this cab, for anybody who is like me and watched a lot of maybe late 70s, early 80s TV, or even some movies, will notice that this is Antonio Fargus, who played Huggy Bear in <laughs> Starsky and Hutch. And he was in other films such as Coffee and, you know, with Pam Greer. But yeah, it was very weird to see him in such a little small role in this, because this role yeah. is just really nothing. He's just in the cab. He's the cabbie. Yeah. Uh, keeps driving them to the airport and go off to sleep. Yeah. And well, these agents are chasing them, but then they lose them, of course, and mm-hmm. then they go back to their cars. And that's yeah. when you're saying that uh, Andy just kind of goes to sleep in the back seat. He starts dreaming. I guess dreaming going into a flashback here. And what we have is a flashback, and there's a room. There's roughly about 10 people in this room. It's like a kind of a medical kind of room. You find out that these 10 people are going to be given an injection. Five of them will just get plain distilled water. The other five will get water with this compound that is known as Lot 6. And it's a kind of a classified drug. He says, yeah, the contents of the compound is classified, but it's technically a hypnotic hallucinogenic. Yeah. Two of these ten people is Andy, and then uh, we have Vicky, who is mm-hmm. there beside them. You know, the doctor is asked a question, and it says, is this done by the shop? One of the guys asks, which is an odd question to ask. It's like, you know, apparently these people know what the shop is. And the doctor seems disturbed by the question, but he says, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. He kind of <laughs> deflects it pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. Vicky asked, when do they get their money for doing the experiment? So yes. they're getting paid. Yeah, yeah. They're getting paid for this, uh, which is usually really how this kind of thing works. Yeah. You know, you get experiments, but here, here's your nice $50 bill. If you live. Yeah, yeah, if you live. <laughs> the doctor tells them they'll get it immediately after they finish with their experiments. Injections are given. And Andy and Vicky are kind of flirting with each other a little bit there. They seem yeah. to kind of hit it off there pretty quick. And after the injections are given, you know, everybody's kind of laying down. And some seem to be kind of trippy at first and everything. You yeah. know, nothing out of ordinary, I guess, with hallucinogenic. And Andy and Vicky are really kind of relaxed. Andy seems to be kind of doped up a little bit himself. The doctor's standing over him and asked him, how is he feeling? And Andy's like, when do they start to shrink? Yeah. And the doctor asked him, do you believe you're going to shrink? And Andy goes, shh. Yeah, yeah. And and then says, like, kind of like if it's drawn out, like, yeah. shrink. Yeah, yeah, like this, uh, yeah, like this very trippy kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I think. He's probably didn't get just the water. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a safe assumption. Yeah. And Andy and Vicky are starting to talk to each other. Well, it's not exactly talking. It's almost like Vicky starts to be able to read Andy's thoughts. Yeah, because she says, that's sweet of you to say. And he's like, I didn't say anything. Yeah. And she said, yeah, you said my hair was beautiful. And he was like, I didn't say it out loud. I said it in my head. You yeah. start to get the idea that she can 
is starting to be able to read thoughts. Then he tells her he loves her, and he's yeah. always loved her for a thousand years. Yeah, even though uh, they probably just met in there from what <laughs> they seems just like. Met. Well, like, you got to get things moving, I yeah, guess. Yeah, hold hands. Maybe this is a short time later. All of a sudden, we start to see some violent reactions to this lot. A lot of people are yeah. just thrashing in their beds. They're screaming. Yes. And one guy's clawed his own eyes out. Yeah. That scene always kind of haunts me. Yeah, it's that's pretty rough. <clears throat> it's pretty disturbing. I do agree with you there. And after that, we kind of end out the flashback as uh, Andy and Charlie arrive at the airport. And the agents are driving around in their car looking around and then one of them mentions the airport maybe we need to check there they've met up with another car of guys and they the one car goes off the exit and the other car keeps on the highway one of the agents starts to and this is one of where i kind of get some problems with the film as far as just the exposition stuff is thrown out how it is He's talking about how Andy has this push thing and he's been doing it too much and his brain is hemorrhaging, mm-hmm. which I remember, I haven't read the book in a long time, but I was going to bring it up and it's almost like King described it as like a wet snap in your brain, you know, like where these little pinpoint hemorrhages would happen, which is kind of, kind of a gross sounded thing when you think mm. about it. I guess I got to try to pepper this in here somehow, but it just kind of felt kind of awkward sitting it in there where this guy's talking about that. We go back to the airport and Andy and Charlie are sitting there and they have no money. Andy's kind of telling Charlie that they don't have any more money and they don't have anything to sell and, you know, kind of summarize the conversation. I think he's suggesting they're going to steal. He's like, it's, that's not right. Yeah. Yeah. She, she doesn't want to. Yeah. Like you said, it's not right. And Charlie is just, she's kind of, I guess what you call kind of a frayed nerve a little bit here at times because she's still upset because she like hurt her mom. Yeah, she says something about hurting her mommy. But I think this is just kind of like, I, I don't know how old she is in this movie, but... In the book, she's supposed to be six. I think she looks even younger in this movie. Um, she might be six. I don't, I, know. I don't know. I think she was eight or nine. Oh, really? She she's just movie. small. Yeah. But, you know, this is that time where he's probably trying to teach her what's wrong and right, but then he's telling her to do something that he's taught her is wrong. Yeah, yeah. And it's confusing to her. Yeah, exactly. You can see Andy this whole time holding his head like he's got an extremely bad headache, which well, I can relate to that. I've had headaches that maybe yeah. just sit there and hold my head. We didn't mention in the cab when he used his powers, his nose always starts to bleed yeah. um, when he does that. Yeah, and like I said, that's probably part of the hemorrhaging. Mm-hmm. Stranger Things is something that they used on yep. that TV show. Yep. Where, her nose would bleed. Yeah, her nose would yeah. bleed. Uh, was it uh, 11 on there? That they pulled. I think they pulled that from this movie, for example. Andy, he, he takes Charlie's hand and they go walk over to like a phone booth, which is something you don't see anymore in this uh, time of uh, cell phones, but a phone booth. Yeah. As they're walking to the yeah. phone booth, mm-hmm. they pass this couple that are arguing. It's a girl that's pregnant and a young guy. He looks like he's in a Green Beret outfit or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's kind of going on about like he didn't want to have anything to do with her. Yeah, and she's like pregnant. Pregnant. And Charlie's mm-hmm. watching them intently. As they kind of go into the telephone booth, she's still kind of listening to them arguing. And what I took away from this conversation is the girl's trying to tell him the baby's his and he's denying it. He's saying she's been with all these other guys and how is he supposed to know? It's like he's basically trying to find an excuse to not have his child around. Yeah. Yeah. He's basically telling her it's her fault 
as this is going on, Andy is using his uh, push to get money out of this payphone. Yeah. And he just like puts a little sack or like a sock down in there. And all these quarters start falling out of the phone. And of course, as this is happening, Charlie's still staring at these two. The woman's crying now and she yeah. tells him that he promised her if anything happened, he would take care of her. And I was like, well, that's where you made a mistake, woman. Yeah. Trusted in him to keep his promises. Yeah. And after they get the money, uh, they walk out of the booth. Charlie's just walking around and looks. is just looking at this guy. Then this is the first time we see. And all of a sudden, this guy's shoes just burst into flame. But did you notice her expression? Her expression as she went in the telephone booth was... Her and the girl are keep sharing looks and smiling at each other. Yeah. She has such an empathetic look. Well, yeah. But when she comes out of that telephone booth, she's angry. Yeah. You yeah. can see it on her face. Yeah. She's yeah. like, fuck this dude. I'm going to do something. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't know what. And then all of a sudden, like her hair starts blowing. Yes. Yeah. Like she's like near a fan or something. Her hair just kind of blowing I always, around her. I always looked at that as like, her body's conducting like heat yep, waves and the waves of heat. Yeah, the waves of heat yep. are blowing her hair. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. like when it's hot in the summer and it's like yeah. sizzling in the yeah, air. Yeah. Her hair starts blowing and then his feet just set on fire. This guy freaks out and he's mm-hmm. just dogging it through the airport, <laughs> you know, with his feet on fire and he just runs into the bathroom and just dunks his feet right there in the toilet bowl. Yeah, so we've established that both him and her have special abilities and she might be a little bit more dangerous. (laughs) Uh, Just a little. After this incident, of course, uh, Andy grabs Charlie and they bolt out of the uh, the airport. Outside as they're walking, Charlie's upset that she did this, that she did that. But, you know, her dad's trying to just calm her down. She has this torn... I mean, you got to think about her age where she has no control as a child of her emotions when she gets upset and she gets angry. Yeah. And then she has the special ability when she gets angry, things set on fire. Yeah. And she's al- almost always immediately hysterical that she did it, but she just doesn't seem to have any control of it yet. No, no, no. Uh, this is a scene, of course, we find out that her mom is actually dead. Yeah. She said they killed her. Yeah, they killed her. So you think, is it these men that are after them yeah, killed which, her or which is what? A, which is a safe assumption because I guess the agents show up at the airport a day late and a dollar short. And then, of course, then we cut back to uh, Charlie and Andy. They're walking on like the freeway. I always wondered, did Charlie have like second sight in well, a way? she sensed when they were coming. Yeah, like a sense because she seems to always sense when they're close for some reason. But yet she didn't later. Well, there was this one scene we're going to get to later where she knows they're coming, too. Yeah, but not in this one very important scene that happens later. She doesn't realize there's anybody there. So I don't know. Is this people she's come in contact with before and she has their energy? She can feel their energy? Maybe. I could be. I don't know. Yeah. She senses the, the agents are coming down the road. Charlie is lowered down off of like this overpass, I guess you could say. Well, he jumps down and then she jumps down. There you go. Yeah, that's And knocks it. him down and they kind of roll down the hill. The dad's kind of out of it on the road and is nearly hit by an 18-wheeler. Yeah, she's trying to get him out of the road because he rolled into the highway. She's, you know, screaming for him to get up. 
And he finally does. He finally, just in time. Yeah, just in time. And he gets up and very, nearly avoids getting, you know, getting a Gage Creed done on him and hit by an 18-wheeler. <laughs> oh, yes, that is with the 18-wheelers. Yeah. yeah. But then Andy, you know, he gets up and he just tells Charlie, we just need to go find some place to get some sleep. You know, they got the money to get a room, so they go to get a room. Yeah, they share like a little sweet moment here. They have such a close relationship. On where they tell each other they're crazy about each other, and yeah. he's like, you know, yeah. but they're all they have. Yeah, they, they they have each other. That's all they got. And he tells her, "We're gonna have to find somewhere to, you know, stay." Yeah. And then we cut to a hotel room, and they're laying in bed sleeping. And then we go into a, another flashback. And this flashback is it's almost like Andy is sitting at the kitchen table with Charlie. Charlie looks like she's a little bit younger. And of course we have Vicky there. And he's holding out like he's got some a piece of bread and some uh tongs. He seems to be trying to test her abilities to control what she does. Or try to teach her to control it. He tells her to focus, to concentrate, and then she sets a piece of toast or on bread fire. on fire. Yeah. And of course, you know, Andy goes and takes it and puts it out in the sink. And then Vicky says, okay, you know, well, it's good. You know, uh, he tells, she tells Charlie it's time to go to bed. Yeah, she said, um, you know, it's it, you can try again at breakfast and, you know, you're tired, go yeah. sleeping. Yeah. She wants to do it again. Because um, she's being a little bratty child. Yeah, she's like, I want to do it now, you know, and she's getting angry. Uh, about that time. Vicky is wearing oven mitts on her hands, and then oven mitts just catch on fire. Charlie freaks out. Andy grabs Vicky and puts her hands into the dishwater with the things and puts them out. And then Andy just goes up to Charlie and gets really upset. You never do that. Yeah, he shakes her, and he, he tells her she's got to learn to control it and yeah. that it's a bad thing. Yeah. So he's teaching her it's a bad thing. But he wants her to use it. So it's very contradictory. It's very, very confusing. Yeah, it's very confusing to this mm -hmm. child. It's like, I want you to learn to use it. But, but don't, it's but, bad. But don't, it's bad. I could see where that would be confusing to a child. And then about that time, there's a call on the phone, but then he picks it up and there's no one there. Yeah, Vicky makes a comment that she knows who that is, and they're just kind of trying to make sure that they're staying put where they're at. Yeah, it's like it's so almost like they're watching. So you're assuming these people that are following them. Uh, one thing, if you notice it in their house, as we kind of go through their house, like in these next few little scenes where we go to later, there's a fire extinguisher in each room of the house. Yeah, I didn't notice <laughs> that until I actually watched it again the other day. But that's smart. <laughs> yeah, well, you need that because they're not Whatever there. room she's in, you need one. <laughs> I like that little touch because I never noticed that before. And then I was just sitting there watching again because I was just kind of like looking around the screen. And I noticed every room in that house had a fire <laughs> extinguisher in it. But then I guess this is some point later, Andy comes home. He's kind of going around the house because things just look a little suspicious in the house. There's things turned over Got on it, the yeah. kitchen table. Yes. It just doesn't seem right. He starts running around the house looking for Vicky. And he gets down into the utility room where the washer and dryer are. Yeah, it's like she was in there doing laundry. Yeah, because the dryer's going, but there's clothes in the floor that just look, just lay in there. And then there's splatters of blood Yeah, that kind of drip into the closet. Yeah, and he's freaking out because he's like, please don't please be in there. Please don't let them be in there. Don't let her be in there. And then he opens up and her body's on an ironing board in there and it falls out and she's yeah. on there. I mean, she's got like a Kleenex stuffed in her mouth and her and, nose is bloody. And if you notice too, she has no fingernails. 
They were torturing her. Yeah, they were torturing her. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. So they were trying to, they were basically pulling her fingernails out to try to, I guess, get her to tell where Andy was or where Charlie was or something like that. I mean, I had a question about this part. Like, we haven't met the one character because, you know, in the new one you said that Rainwater. Rainbird. Rainbird. Rainwater. Rainwater. Rainbird killed her in the new movie. Yeah. Do you, you don't think, you remember what he does to somebody later? Do you think he did that to her? Because her nose is bleeding. We never know for sure. We yeah, because he sure. didn't ever say he did. No, no, he, that was never mentioned. I mean, that's a... that's a. Did you remember what he does later? Uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, oh, but God. we'll get to that. Damn. But, um, <laughs> but um, I mean, I could see that, but they it's never mentioned. Yeah. It's never mentioned. After he finds her body, he goes to look for Charlie and she's not there. But then he gets on the phone. He's like, okay, I think I know where maybe she was at. Maybe this is our aunt. Uh, yeah. Or just, or, or just maybe somebody who's like a, a sitter for Charlie when they need one. And she calls Joan. Next thing we know, he's out, he outside of this house. He pulls up. These two agents are coming out of the house. Well, it, it first shows uh, somebody's chloroforming Charlie. You're yeah, that's straight. what I was going to say right now. Yeah, yeah because and then as they're carrying her to this white van, he's pulling it. He's flying into the driveway. The agents are out there, and Andy steps out, and he looks at the agents. He sees the one with Charlie, and then he sees one, and he says, you know, he uses his push on them, and he says, you're blind. No, not yet. He says, put your gun down. Put your gun down. Put your gun down, yeah. And then he tells the other one, bring her to me yeah. out of there. And the guy brings her to him, and he, she's passed out cold, mm. and he kind of looks at her, and he's just so enraged that, you yeah. know, they've killed his wife. They've hurt her. So then he looks at them, and he says, you're blind. Yeah, because I know he tells yeah. one of them he's blind, and then he tells the yeah. other one, you're blind, too. Then this woman comes outside where these, after these guys are flailing on the ground. He, this is Joan, and he said, because Joan, if you notice, she, she's, like, got she's got a, he, yeah, like he, she got, uh, yeah, they must hit. have got the jump on her. Yeah, and like, uh, forget, <clears throat> you know, Andy does a push on her, says, you won't remember what yeah, happened. Yeah, go back in the house, oh, yeah. you won't remember anything. And she it, does, she turns around and goes back in the house. Even though I know after she comes, she's going to wonder, like, how did I get this shiner on my face? And yeah. why are these two guys flailing out in my yard <laughs> acting like they're blind? Yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but then I guess that's when um, we cut out uh, the flashback. Yes, yeah, the next morning they're getting ready and they head out of the uh, hotel. Mm-hmm. Then it moves to a fenced-in property. Yeah. And the screen shows the shop, Longmont, Virginia. Yeah, Longmont, Virginia. And you see Martin Sheen's character, uh, Hollister. He's right, like, riding a bike. Yeah, which was weird. Well, maybe he's... Uh, one of these people that don't like to drive to save the environment. Kind of driving up to this large, white-looking house. Almost looks like a plantation house. Yeah. He comes in the house, and he kind of greets the two women at their, like, a little office. Kind of around. a receptionist. And one of them tells him that John Rainbird is, is in his house. In his, in his, his office. office, waiting on him. Yeah. And he just seems like, oh, God, He's okay. Like, uh, when did he get here? And he walks in there, and then this is the first time we see Rainbird. He is standing there in front of the window. Hollister asks him, well, how, you know, how was Venice? And he's, he says, welcome back. How was Venice? And, and I called him John. Um, asked by saying sinking? Yeah, sinking. Yeah, because um, Venice is kind of underwater. 
Oh, okay. always because there's no roads in Venice. You got to go by boat everywhere. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hollister asked, "Is the problem solved?" And, mm. and Aaron Rainbird says, "Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been solved." About this time, we have uh, someone come in the room, and this is Doctor Wallace. Is it Wallace? Okay, I had. Uh, yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, this is the same doctor that was doing the experiments at the beginning of the movie. And he comes in kind of excitable a little bit. And he asks, uh, have you caught them yet? And I guess he's referring to Charlie and Andy. It's almost like he wants them killed. He says they need to be wiped off the face of the earth. He says that Andy and Charlie are the biggest threat to this nation. Mm-hmm. Like, dang. And I know Rainbird, he just sits down there and talks. You know, he isn't talking. He's just listening. Hollister says, that's a bunch of crap. Doctor gets upset and says, Hollister feels guilty because eight out of the ten patients have died by suicide. Yeah, they, the others have committed suicide. The only ones that are left, were left alive were uh, Andy and um, uh, Vicky. Yeah, and the doctor says Hollister just wants to ignore his pr- participation in what's happened to them. And that's why he's just kind of... Yeah, they, they sanctioned the experiments, basically. They, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, there you go. And this is where you find out that lot six was, uh, is like a pituitary gland extract. It's like a powerful painkiller and a hallucinogenic. And it can cause moments of psi-ability, precognition, telekinesis, and mental domination, certain subjects. And, of course, you know, the... Uh, I guess they didn't factor in Charlie, who got pyrokinesis. And she was born that way. So it's something that you carry in your DNA? It could be. It just, it's like how I've always said certain drugs have different reactions to certain people. Mm -hmm. It's like I can take non-drowsy allergy medicine and it knock me right out because that's just how my DNA is. Yeah, you're lightweight. (laughs) Yeah. And like I said, this lot six, maybe some people killed. Some people didn't do anything, but then it just merged with their DNA in a different way Mm -hmm. because everybody's DNA is written differently. And that's what the case is here. And I know the doctor says since this child was born, the dad's been kind of trying to control her, but it seems like he's losing that battle. Hollister tries to kind of pass her abilities off to being nothing because she's a little girl. And the doctor stresses the point that what happens when she's a grown woman, when that pituitary gland wakes up and mm-hmm. starts maturing, Yeah. what what happens? And he's like talking about, you know, like say, for example, how the dad is probably ragged right now, yeah. tired. Because you got to imagine when this child is a baby, the bottle is late, baby gets angry and the stuffed animal beside this baby sets on fire. You're dealing with a mm-hmm. child who has no rational concept of what it's doing, yep. which I could imagine how horrifying that would be mm-hmm. because because that child just does a certain thing, that baby could set the whole house on fire because you know, you ha- you're you not as rational when you're younger right. as you are when you're older. And it's like what you were saying is the child gets older and that pituitary gland and everything, mm-hmm. you know, what could happen. What is, happens when she's grown? It says she, her power could cause a nuclear explosion. Wow. And crack the world in half, Yeah. which is pretty interesting visual of her power and her mm-hmm. strength and, you know, mm-hmm. her pyrokinesis that she could like crack the world open like an egg. Hollister's standing there listening to all this. You're not sure if he's buying it at first, 
But then all of a sudden, you see his wheels turning. And, mm. and like any bad guy in any movie that hears about a power, like, what if oh. I could use this? How can I exploit this? How can I use this? And you're like, <laughs> oh, that is your downfall, wants, sir. Yeah, he wants to do more experiments. And the doctor's like, no, we, we can't do that. I won't do that. Yeah. He said, I'll go over your head. And I'll stop it. Yes. And then he storms out. Yeah. Yeah, because he's it's like, you know, I'm done with this. John says he's... He's an excitable man. Yeah, and then Hollister just like looks at him and they he nods. Nod. And I'm just I'm like, like oh, well, that ain't good. Dr. Wallace. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> nice knowing you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, then we cut to Andy and Charlie. They're on the road. They seem to be in a more rural area now, like a small town. That's what it looks like, yeah. Um, and Andy's talking about that they just need to get some letters to various newspapers and tell their story you know about the shop and everything yeah he he says they need to find a place to lay low for a while maybe they can send those letters to all the important large newspapers about what's going on and then the shop will be forced to leave them alone leave them alone charlie mentions they could go to her grandfather's and the dad says, you know, I was thinking that exact mm-hmm. same thing. So I don't know if that's his father or Vicky's father. I'm not sure. But, you know, it seems like it's a place they know of pretty well. Yeah. So, And then this is about time I think they're trying to flag down a ride. And then they get a truck that stops. And this is uh, Irv. Irv. Irv Manders. Okay. And he offers them a ride. He said, you know, and they kind of come up with some. They, they apparently have a story down. Because Charlie tells him her name is Roberta. And he doesn't say what his name told us later. Yeah, later. They say that they're headed to Tennessee, Knoxville, Tennessee, because uh, the wife has had a baby yeah, there. And, and she was just, visiting her sister and went into labor in there. So yeah, they're headed to see her. And they had some trouble getting there. And Herb just says, well, I can take you about 10 miles closer if you decide you want to go. As they take off in the truck, you could see that brown car just coming up behind them. They just missed them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that brown car kind of goes off Mm -hmm. the other way. So, yeah, they just missed them. We missed a little scene before it showed Andy and Charlie. It shows the two cars that are moving together and they stop off the side of the road. And one of them says, I'm going to go check the motel. You go ahead on further and look for them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, them agents are kind of combing the area. Yeah, so that must have been the one that was headed. But uh, as they're driving, you know, um, I think this is around the point Irv is just kind of talking with them a little bit. Then he invites them and says, hey, do you two want to just come by my house and have a, you know, have some lunch or something like that? They first um, passed that car that was, I guess, headed he told them to drive further up the road and check out the road. They got a flat tire, and they they just so happened to pass in that truck, and the one of them sees them and says, there they are in that truck, and he gets their license plate number. Oh, yeah, that's right. I had it right mm-hmm. here. I skipped right over that. But, you know, Irv just invites them over to have some food at their house, and yeah. Andy's a little hesitant, but Charlie's like, you know, she's I'm a little hungry. kid. She's I'm always starving. hungry. You know, they ultimately like, yeah, it sounds good. Next scene, we're pulling up at uh, Irv's home, which is just this like, little, I guess, farmhouse. They're pulling up, and, you know, we see a woman walk out, and this is uh, his wife. I can't remember her name. Norma. Mar- Maureen. Norma. 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 Irv introduces him, and what did Andy say his name was? Where is it? I lost it myself. It was right here. 
But point being is he's introduced as someone else, Frank. Frank. Yeah, Frank. Yeah. And this is Frank and Roberta, and the wife introduces himself and, you know, invited them over. He says, I invited them over to have lunch with us. They're on their way to uh, Tennessee. And, you know, they go in, and while, as they go in, the wife gives Irv a very disapproving like, kind of Like, why look. are you bringing strangers home? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are like, you doing? Bringing strays in. <laughs> Next thing you know, they, we cut in there, and there, I guess they're finishing their lunch up, and you know, Charlie's pretty much stuffed. She says something about like she's almost so full she'll split. Split, and she says, "Mama used to sit," and then she stops, and she said, "My oh. mom says that." Yeah, and and Irv's kind of looking at her, like I think he suspects there's something going on with them. Yeah, yeah, I think that's when he's starting to get a little more suspicious. And he tells Norma to take her out, and they'll go feed the chickens, and he needs to talk to. And this is when, uh, really, Irv just says, you know, this, that's not your real name, is it? Well, he says, you want a beer? And he said, Frank, you want a beer? And Andy says, it's not Frank. Yeah, yeah, that, okay, yeah, that's right. He got, the Irv turns around and says, I get, I kind of figured that. And he said, what, what's your name? And he said, Andy. Yeah. They start talking about, I think... Basically, we start getting the information that we've already seen. Yeah, and Irv kind of thinks that he's kidnapped Charlie from her mother. And he says, no, that's not, that the mother's been dead for a year. This is where some of my issues with the movie comes in. Do you think we really needed this scene in the movie? Because really, it's telling us information we already know. I mean, they could have very easily... He could have said, no, my name isn't Frank, it's Andy. And then he yeah. sits down with the beer and he says, just have a seat and I'll tell you what's going on. Then we cut to maybe Charlie outside yeah. with her. Because, no, you probably didn't, but I guess they just had like an extra, you know, couple scenes of him telling them, you know, what, yeah. you know, what the people are after them for. Because I'm going to go into some of my problems yeah. with the movie, and I think it's this kind of stuff. That maybe I, it was just because of who these people end up being yeah. in the end. Maybe they were just trying to build a little mm-hmm. rapport maybe, there. Maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. I mean, they didn't really need the scene. Yeah. As doing that, you know, we kind of cut to, and you see, of course, Charlie's outside with uh, Norma there out there feeding the chickens. When Andy's talking to Irv, you know, you find out, you know, he tells them about the shop. And everything is uh, like the Department of Scientific Intelligence. Yeah, they're wanting to study Charlie more, possibly reopen those Lot 6 experiments. Yeah. I know Irv says something about, like, well, why don't you go to the police? You know, but of course, you know, I don't think that would do any good, judging by, no. you know, you're dealing with mm-hmm. government and things yeah. like that. I think this is about that time. It's about that time Charlie comes back in with Norma. Yeah, she comes back in and she kind of realizes from looking at his face that he's told her yeah, of everything. Yeah, yeah, you told. I mean, it's just, I think it's, Charlie even does understand that, you know, they can't tell anybody who they are because they won't be safe if they know. Then she suddenly has that feeling that those men are close by. Because, yeah, she says something about like they're coming up the driveway. Yeah, and it shows them kind of driving. 
she starts to get upset and the temperature in the kitchen just starts to rise. Yeah, you see butter melting in the tray. There's and then a, they've the, got like a thermometer hanging and it's yeah. going up. And then the herb is like, oh God, you know, he can she actually feel that? it. Yeah, she's doing that. You, you actually mm -hmm. still feel start getting hot. And Andy kind of just like kind of calms her down a little bit. And Andy just looks at her and says, you can stop them. Yeah, which is also like he tells her not to do it, and then he tells her to do it. It's very conflicting. Yeah, he's like, yeah. you know, you can you can stop them. And Irv is like, I can, you know, can I help? I can get my gun. And she says, you won't need it. The thing that I liked is Andy says, you can stop them. And then Charlie says something, will you still love me if I do something bad? Yeah, because she feels that it's bad. Because well, he he's instilled that in yeah. her. Yeah. And she hurts people. And that's the point where you was talking about where Irv says, I'll get my gun. Then Charlie says, mm -hmm. you won't need your gun. Yeah. And you know, oh shit, some bad stuff's <laughs> about to go down. <laughs> yes. Of course, there's a bunch of cars that pull up. They're probably all their agents. Which, like I said, is incredibly dumb. Because you know this girl can mm -hmm. use fire like that. And you know the dad can push people. You would think you would be a little smarter about this than they are instead of just rushing right up. But they're all outside. They're basically, you know, wanting Charlie and Andy to come with them. Charlie tells them, go away. Yeah. I think this is about time Irv comes out with his uh, rifle. He tells them, get off his property. Yeah, he said, you ain't got no warrant here. Did you, did you count how many times he references Nazis in Russia yeah. in this scene? Mm-hmm. Because this is the 80s. Yeah, it's the 80s. <laughs> well, very true. Very true. I think this is about the point. Andy starts to kind of walk down the steps. It's, you know, he's trying to remind them. I think, you know, like when they were in the car earlier, they had this hesitation of him, mm -hmm. his powers. But it's like they don't have any awareness of hers because she's a little girl, I think. Well, that could be why they just feel like they can roll up on her like Because she's little, but yeah. she's actually more dangerous than the dad is. Yeah, in a lot of ways. In different ways. Yeah, in different ways. And then I think this is the point, one of them grabs her dad. Yeah, two of them grab him, hold of him. She gets upset. This sets her off. And isn't this the point where Irv gets shot too? Yeah, she's, they go to grab him and he tries to defend Andy and they shoot him in the arm, Irv. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They, they wing him in the arm and he falls over. She and, pretty much tells him, don't make me do anything. Yeah. Once they grab hold of her dad. Then they shoot that guy. That's, yeah, that's it. She Her hair starts blowing. Yeah. She clenches her fist. Yeah. And everybody in the yard can feel the temperature because yeah. they're all wearing suits. Yeah, yeah. And they can feel the temperature rising yeah. in the yard. Then she sets two of those that are holding her dad, their arms on fire to make them release him. And people are set on fire in this yard. Cars are blown up. Blown up. She's full blast in this scene. Yeah, she's going. She's going full on yep. with this. And these guys are just running around and just screaming mm -hmm. because I think yep. they just didn't realize what they were getting into. Here. I mean, this was when stop, drop, and roll was so popular, but none of them stop, drop, and roll. Man, they just run like fanning the fires. Yeah. Well, the, I think they're just running for their life because yeah. this girl, yeah. they know what's causing it and they don't know if they're going to be able to get away from it. Because that main one that's been kind of doing most of the talking, the main guy, he just kind of looks at her and he's like, no, don't. And she totally sets him like, and she other people, she's setting their arms on fire. Yeah. She sets him dead hall on fire. Yeah, she burns him yeah. alive. 
And like I said, the agents are getting out of there and running for her life. And Andy goes up to Charlie and just tries to calm her down. Yeah, he tells her to stop and he jerks her so hard and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you told her to do it. Yeah. She's upset and she's telling him sorry. She didn't mean to do it. And she has no, at this point, control when no. she starts no. going. And that's why I think I would have did this scene differently. I would have done this scene of like the dad sitting there telling her before go out, don't do anything. And then when she goes outside with him, he's grabbed. That's when she does it. And it makes her upset because I kind of feel like her dad giving her mixed signals on this is one of the things that bothers me about this movie. But I kind of think if uh, the dad would just said, we'll figure out a way out of this. Just don't hurt anybody. Because it seems to mentally distress her to do it and it's just like they want just to her not to do anything and then when they need her to do something they're like unleash it yeah there you go i said after she is kind of calmed down irv tells andy there's a jeep in the back Mm -hmm. take it and go you know andy's like i can't do that he says no no he said these guys rolled up on my property without a warrant or anything so mm-hmm. he i guess basically he trusts andy a lot more than he's going to trust whatever was after him because yeah. you know and he says no y'all need to get out here just take the jeep and get out and go of course you know next scene we're in the jeep and they're going down the road and they're headed to tennessee yeah they're headed to their uh i guess the grandfather's place yes because uh charlie's asleep uh in the passenger seat and andy kind of wakes her up says well we're near the lake now yeah, it shows them, like, going up in the woods, and they hide the Jeep. Yeah, they hide the Jeep. They go up into near this cabin. There's a cabin up there in the, what, on a dock out there. Yeah, they well, it's kind of downhill, and yeah. then there's, like, a ramp that goes up into the cabin. I would love to have a little house yeah, like that. Yeah, it's a nice place. It's a nice area. It's a real um, small little cabin on the lake. Charlie seems to be... This is where you look at her. She seems like she's the most like a little kid. Yes. She's allowed to relax a little. Yeah. Because she's just like running around by the lake, throwing rocks into the water and stuff like that. You can tell that this is, okay, this is a little kid. And they kind of feel, I think, like they've got ahead of the shop because she destroyed a lot of them. And, you know, it's going to take them a little bit to get back on their trail. It says something about like, you know, they're going to stay far away from us after what happened. Yeah, after what you did. After what you did. (laughs) But he does mention that they may find a new way to get after him. But yeah, Charlie asked him, will she ever be able to go back to school and like have a normal life? Yeah. And uh, he tells her, yeah. Yeah, probably after those letters are saying it. I, I don't think, think you should have told her that because no. she's not normal and she's never going to have a normal no, life. No, I don't think she would ever have a normal life. You're but right. It made me think about how my mom, I wish my mom had told me, you know, being an identical twin that I wasn't going to live a normal life. Oh. She never told me that. And then I constantly got in these situations where people stared at me and that lady called me a freak of nature. Mm-hmm. People made fun of me and this kind of stuff. Like there's something unique about you. Yeah. You will never live a kind of life that somebody else lives. I never looked as abnormal. I looked as unique. Most people would wish they had a unique quality about them because it makes them stand out but you know when you're made to feel like that's a bad thing because mm-hmm, yeah. that I, it was the perfect example of like you know when you would go around the room and in, in school and they would say say something unique about yourself mm-hmm. i said i would say i have a dog yeah i would never mention that i was a twin 
because it was a negative thing to me. Hmm. But, like, I, I wish he hadn't have told her that because she's not going to be normal. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, he, I guess he's trying to just be comforting to her. But, yeah, I think uh, it's very true. I don't see her mm-hmm. having a normal life. You know, because, I mean, you can kind of see she just wants to be a normal little girl. And it, and she obviously went to school before because she's asking, will she go back to school? So she was in school, I guess, where she was Yeah. before. I mean, they're at this, I'm trying to remember this grandfather's cabin. The grandfather was passed away, right? Yeah, because he says when they're leaving, he said there's a lot of cleaning up to do because nobody's lived here since that's he right, died. That's right, that's right. I thought, yeah. I, I meant to write that down. I forgot about that. But yeah, that's right. I, I didn't know if that was just a grand, their grandfather's cabin that they just kind of went and stayed at or if he had passed away. I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's a cute little cabin inside. Yeah. It's small, but it's it's nice. And after, you know, puts Charlie to bed, we cut to a home. And this is where that Dr... Wallace, Wallace, yeah, is in bed asleep. Then there's a somebody with a there's a stick like tickling his nose, trying to wake him up. Mm-hmm. There's John Rainbird up there, and then the guy goes, you know, he's starting to get ready to scream, and Rainbird just takes the back of his hand and smacks him right in the nose. It's like a freaking karate chop. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is basically how you wake me up every day. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. When we were dating, yeah. you hit me in the face. Yeah, and I punched you in the face. Actually, I did this to you technically, <laughs> but you didn't notice. You uh, you still stayed asleep. <laughs> but this is how Sherry wakes me up every day. You know, she'll tickle my nose or something, then I'll open my eyes and then she'll whack me. She don't hit me in the nose. She just smacks me in the head. And, you know, it's time to get up. But this is probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Just this shows you what Rainbird is yes i mean he's just i mean he does this with no thought at all this is who he is Uh and it shows that he will just kill you Mm -hmm. just at a blink of an eye he acts so friendly yeah and he's always smiling but there's something very sinister about him yeah you know that's the end of that scene it's a very quick scene but he killed him i guess it like shoved his nose back into his brain yeah yeah the yeah the bones the freaking yeah uh like, you know, Mr. Miyagi, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. second one, yeah. <laughs> when he hit you. Yeah, 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 exactly. Honk. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I said, yeah. Well, this one, no nose honk. No, he, sure. well, he honked him in a different way. Yeah, I know, and that's the end of that scene. Like I said, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's still a brutal scene. Yeah, to look at but that's, that's what I said about Vicky. Her nose was bleeding. Yeah. They never mentioned that Rainbird was there. It's really hard to say, or you could just say the agents were roughing her up and, like I said, just punching her and hitting her. Torturing her. Yeah, torturing her. But after that scene, we cut to the next day, and Andy is dropping some letters in the mailbox. Yeah, there's a sign that says, this is Chimney Rock. Yeah, well, this film was made in North Carolina. Yeah, so this is Chimney Rock. Yeah, it was filmed in and around North Carolina. So Yeah, they stop at the post office, and he's mailing letters. Yeah, he drops them into a, a box. And there's some people in this store across the way, and they notice them, and one of the people goes to make a call. Yeah, she asked the store owner, she's like, do you have a phone? And he said, over here, she goes over there and gets on the phone. And she makes a call. And then, I guess, next scene, we see who the call is, and Hollister gets a call, and basically, he finds out where they're at. So these people are like kind of lookouts that have been put there. That's my best guess. And the weird thing is, they just like an old couple. Yeah, I guess... They're 
agents or or, or yeah or something or but this is what was weird to me like as advanced as they have of knowing all this stuff why didn't they know where their grandfather lived well if it's a cabin and it's kind of off the grid yeah they probably I guess. didn't know because I, I just mean, thought this seems like something they could have found out well i just assumed it was a cabin it was on the lake and probably older people they kind of keep those kinds of things off the grid and everything like yeah. that so they probably didn't know it or didn't even think about it but I uh, google back then well that's true too yeah and um you know of course and hollister gets his call and he lets rainbird know who's in the office rainbird says well i'll go get them you know he says he'll get them on a condition that he can have the girl after they're done with her for disposal yeah for after he, he says i want them after you are done with her for disposal i want her not the dad. He wants her. He wants her. Hollister just looks at Rainbird and is just basically, well, what if I have you erased? Well, yeah, what if I just have him erased? And John's like, I, he's made provisions that if anything happens to him, he'll make sure the shop doesn't exist within six weeks and that within six months, Hollister will stand trial for crimes that'll put him in jail for his life. Yeah, he, he basically has a backup plan. Mm-hmm. Talks to him and says, you know, there's going to be a point where Charlie and him will be very good friends. Hollister asked him, what is your interest in Charlie? And this part's weird. He says she's very young and she's very beautiful. Young and beautiful and she has the power to gods. Uh, yeah. He holds up a picture of her. He has a picture of her and he says he and she and him will be close. Very close. Yeah. I thought my pervo meter started going off. In the book, Ew. in the book, it doesn't go. It's skirted across. Yes, that this is he's like grooming her. Yes, because he's like she's very young and yeah. beautiful. Yeah, I was like, oh. Yeah, I mean, it it doesn't go in that direction, but it skirts it. Yes. Yeah. Then of course you know, um, Rainbird leaves to go do his uh, mission there. And then we cut to the cabin, and Charlie's out there fishing with her dad. Yep. And basically, like I said, this is she's being a little girl. She's now. getting to experience things. Yeah, and and she catches a small fish. And then we cut to a scene where the mail's being collected in town. I guess the same mailbox that uh, Andy put his letters in. And then we cut to a scene of there's a car on the side of the road with two people. Like their car broke down, and the mailman is coming down the road and then one of the guys steps out into the road to flag them down saying hey we got some car trouble here i think our battery died can you help us out and then the mailman's like sure sure you know and he gets out and then of course we see one of these guys is rainbird and he just kills this mailman yeah he strangles him with a belt i'm like this is the quickest strangle ever and also, I mean, was it really necessary to kill this guy? I just hit, like, I think that's a, into who Rainbird is. Yeah, yeah. I he mean, could have just easily hit him over the head. Yeah, could have just knocked him out yeah. and took that mail and been done with it. But no, no, he, he strangles yeah, him. Yeah, he strangles him. And it makes me wonder, how did they know that that was the mail that they actually <laughs> needed to get? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's small or... Or a small town. Maybe that's the only one of few mail carriers. Or maybe there's a, a, a body <laughs> full of mail carriers in that town where, you know, they killed all of them. I don't know. Then we cut to a scene of outside the cabin. And mm-hmm. Rainbird is up in the woods, wooded area up, there, up above the cabin. Yeah, he's loading a gun with a tranquilizer dart. Yeah, he has like a tranquilizer gun. And I was like, oh no. 
and he's just kind of looking around trying to get where he could get a good shot out but he mm. where he's at he's, he can't so he he, can't he, get he gets up into a tree he knows he can't get close to her so yeah. he's gonna have to yeah I, i'll i give him credit he is smart yes. about what he's getting ready to do he wasn't like those other ones just yeah. walk up to her yeah he wasn't like he he's not idiot like the other ones mm -hmm. are and then we cut inside the cabin, and Andy says that well, we're going to leave. We need to go to the offices of the New York Times because apparently they, their letters haven't been received yet or something. Even though if they're still in the letters now, well, they wouldn't have got there that No, quick, you know? at all. Yeah, so I don't know. There's something dodgy with the time here. <laughs> if he just sent them off maybe a day or two before, there's they, no they, they weren't going to get there <laughs> and, and everything. But I don't know. You have to overlook that. Virginia to North. No, they're in Tennessee. They're in Tennessee. They're supposed to be Tim, New York. Tennessee, even though it says Chimney Rock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, something off with the geography in this movie. But then Charlie kind of just throws a tantrum, and she gets really upset when uh, she's trying to grab something to carry. Yeah, they're loading up, like, canned goods to take with them. They're about to leave. I think she's just tired. She's tired of running and she's being tired. scared. Well, and... she wants that normal life. And she feels like, okay, so much for our little normal life here. Yeah. Now we got to go back on the run again, which in all honesty, well, I guess judged by what's about to happen, it wouldn't matter if they stayed there or not. Nope. You know, I think she just wants that normal life and she's getting agitated. And she knows they're about to be back on the run again. Yeah. And and she says she will never start another fire. You know? And he says, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Until he tells you not to. Yeah, that's the famous last words. And uh, then they uh, go out the cabin, and you see them walking out of the cabin. And Rainbird is looking through the scope on his gun. And this is what I mentioned. Why didn't she sense him there? Well, that's very strange, too. Yeah, and all right. those people that come out. Yeah, that's very Why odd. Why didn't I she do agree. see that? Yeah. They're walking down this... Uh, what, like kind of a little pier little, area. Yeah, a little ramp, and she's, you know, she's carrying her teddy bear. She's skipping, and yeah, he's walking behind her carrying that box of canned goods. Yeah. John just shoots her. Shoots her right in the neck. Right in the center yeah. of the throat. But I was like, damn. Yeah, and then she dropped, and she's out. So apparently what's in these tranquilizer darts works immediately. Yes. <laughs> because it wasn't like she just kind of faded out, you know, a little bit. She was out as soon yeah. as it hit her. So whatever it was, was strong. And of course, Andy drops his box of food and he runs to her. He gets all, you know, he starts screaming at them that they shot his daughter and, you know, bastards. Yeah. And I think this wasn't the smartest thing he ever did. He kind of is holding her. Yeah. But he turns his back to where the dart the direction of the darts came from. Yeah, if he was smart, he should have grabbed her and run. And run. It's very possible. He was trying to protect he her. He was trying to protect her, or he, yeah. or maybe he thought they killed her. I guess, but that just wasn't the smartest thing. I thought to yeah. just give your whole wide back him, and that of course he shoots him in the back. Yeah, Ra uh, Rainbird puts another dart right in his back, and then mm -hmm. Andy just goes right out too. Like I said, that must have been some strong yeah. stuff in there. And then uh, we see Rainbird coming out of the, the woods there. And then we see a bunch of men in fire suits coming out, which that was very smart Darts. on their part, too, for just in case. And even <laughs> though they darted her, they're, they're just, they yeah. want to be sure. Well, that's why I said Rainbird was very smart about this. He did it in very a very quiet, efficient way. Yeah. You know, he didn't roll up in there like them agents did, like, you're coming with us or anything yeah. like that. No, he's like, uh, we. I need to take them down yeah. quick 
And I don't even have to get close to them. Yeah, I don't have to get close to them. And yeah. then I'll have my backup here in fire suits in case. But you notice he don't have one on. I guess he wasn't worried about it. He goes over and he picks Charlie up. Yeah, he picks Charlie up. And uh, the dad's still kind of holding, holding on, on to Charlie. Her. And he just like yanks, yanks, her arm. yanks her arm away and carries her off oh, as they no. get, as they get, uh, as the people in fire suits get Andy. And, and right here, we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back, I guess, with the second half of a fire start. It's the night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there, even Carrie White, the girl no one likes. We're all sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! And everyone makes fun of her. The girl who lives in that creepy house with her crazy mother. Help the silly woman see the sin of her days and ways. Show her that if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her. The girl with the strange power. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. But tonight, no one will laugh at Carrie. If you don't have a date for the prom next Friday, would you like to go with me? She's with the best-looking boy in the senior class. He's trying to trick me again. She'll be voted queen of the prom. You know, I can make sure that you don't hurt Carrie White anymore. For Carrie, it will be a dream come true. For everyone else, it will be a nightmare. <laughs> Carrie. New film by Brian De Palma. Based on the chilling bestseller. Starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, and introducing John Travolta in his first motion picture role. If you have a taste for terror... You have a date with Carrie. And we are back. We uh, open up and Andy is waking up in a bed. I think everybody probably knows where we are at, but we are at the shop. And there's some orderlies and a doctor that are over to bed. And this is Dr. One of them, his name is Dr. Pinchot. Andy wants to know where Charlie is. Naturally, they're not forthcoming with the information, and Andy gets up and tries to get out. Yeah, he so, kind of breaks loose past them. Yes. And I think it's kind of funny. He kicks the doctor right in the chest. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. He kicks him, and he kind of goes up back. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and he runs into the next room, and the door's locked, and then he runs to the windows, and there's all these panels. Yeah, so it's like, just you like... You can't get out. Yeah, you can't get out. And then the two orderlies hold Andy, and this Dr. Pinchot... You know, injects Andy. Yeah. And whatever it is works fast, like those darts, <laughs> because they literally drag him back into bed. And the doctor just looks at Andy as he's going. I says, well, we're going to be spending a lot of time together. And we'll, and he says, I will make sure you're treated well. going to mention, I put in my notes. I don't know. You may didn't notice. But when they were putting him in the bed, do you see the weird way the guy scoops him on the butt? No, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> He's no. already sitting down, and the guy just does his hand up into, under his butt. Oh, I didn't. I didn't even notice <laughs> I was that. Like, that's weird. I didn't even notice that. 
And then, of course, we get confirmation on where it is. And because Andy says, is this the shop? And the doctor says, yes, Yes. this is the shop. Mm -hmm. And it moves to Charlie. She's in another room. She's in another room. Yeah, she's wearing like a pink night robe and slippers. Yeah, she's, she's walking around the room trying to find a way to get out. Yeah, she's storming around the room. And Did you notice her her panels are metal? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, his yeah. are kind of like, like plastic looking. Hers are metal. She notices there's no way out, so she just goes to sit on this couch. I was surprised that she never tried to use her powers. Well, she's, she was well she said room. she was never going to use them. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, but I would have been like, hey, I can get out of here. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe if it was metal, though, you would burn it around, down around you. But I don't know that you'd burn well, it Well, she could have burnt the doorknobs off. Yeah, she could have did that. But like I said, naturally, she isn't going to use it. She don't want to use it. Then about the time we see Hollister come in, and he comes in with some hot cocoa. cocoa and he's offering it to her, and of course, naturally, she doesn't want it, and he just sets it aside. She wants to know what her dad is. Yeah, she says, I want my dad. Yeah. And he, he's like, she doesn't want it. She's like, he's like, here, and he tries to give it to her. She goes, I don't want it. And then he picks it up and drinks it. Yeah, oh, yeah. tell her it's okay. I'm like. Yeah, I guess to show that there's nothing in like, it that they're trying to Don't drink somebody's her. drink. Yeah. Hollister just kind of deflects the question of her wanting her dad, says he's been wanting to meet her. You know, and he says her dad sends uh, sends his love and says I want. He says he wants you to cooperate with us, and then she basically tells him to go to hell. Well, she calls him a liar a because liar. he said the dad says that you should cooperate. She yeah. said you're a liar. Yeah. And then he says you shouldn't talk like that for a little girl. She says go to hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Hollister just tells her he's interested in her pyrokinesis. And then that's when Charlie says that I'll, I'm never going to start another fire and wants to see your dad. You know, Hollister, of course, uh, kind of just flexes that yet again, you know, as far as her seeing your dad. And he says, well, don't worry about Charlie. Eventually, you and I will be good friends. She says, never. Yeah, she says, never. And then he just uh, up and leaves. And they, they have key cards to come in and out the door. So in and put, out. Yeah, yeah, so he puts the key card in and he walks out. And then after he leaves, Charlie's sitting there. And she's making the cocoa start to bubble. And then she starts to say something like a back off kind of thing. Where she's, She makes it boil over and yeah. then she starts going back off. That's yeah. the first time she said that, back yeah, off. It's almost like she's trying to control, control it, it and making, mm-hmm. telling herself to back off from it, yeah. to back mm-hmm. off. I guess since her dad isn't there to do it, she's trying to mm-hmm. tell herself to do it. And as she's doing that, it stops bubbling. So... Mm-hmm. Maybe she's starting to get a little bit of a handle on it herself. And then we cut to Andy's room where things aren't going as well for him. He's being force-fed pills. And you kind of wonder, are they keeping him drugged up to dampen his abilities so that he can't use them on them? That's what I kept wondering. Well, I found it weird that they would do that, but then they... They don't seem interested in Andy's powers. They're interested in Charlie's. Well, they, in, coming up in a, a minute, they want to test his powers. Yeah, that's why I And I'm like, but why would you do that if you're you're numbing them? Yeah, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I don't think they were interested in him I don't think this is interested. I agree with that. That's what I was They Im- immediately want to get them separated. And I think a yeah. test that they do on him later <clears throat> is yeah. not to see what his powers is or to... I think they just want to see more face suppressed it. I'm not really sure. Yeah. It's very odd on how they're doing with mm-hmm. what they're doing with him. 
And then we cut back to Charlie. She's in her room. And Hollister and Dr. Pinchot are trying to, I guess, shower her with gifts to kind of win her over. And that's just, that's not flying. And give her, like, she's got, like, a little Cabbage Patch doll, which yeah. made me happy to see. Oh, yeah. I, I had two of those. I had a little preemie. Yeah. Yeah, I had a preemie Cabbage Patch. His name was Myron. Yeah. And then I had a little girl with red hair, and her name was Eloisa. Yeah, I haven't seen, I remember when those things were big, so, I mean, oh, I have yeah. to admit, I mean, I hadn't seen any of those in a while either until I watched this again. But, yeah, she, he tries to give her like a little doll, and and she's she doesn't have any interest in. She's not taking anything. Her, she's doing. she's not taking her bait basically. He seems irritated with her Hollister. Yeah, well, she's like irritated that she won't even. Well, she you know, and why why would why she? Why would she? Why would yeah. she? Yeah, yeah. It's like you've taken her father away from her, and now you want her to be happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we kind of cut to Rainbird pulling up in front of the shop. And he gets out of his uh, car and he's, I guess the thing here is anybody who's watched this movie or even read the book, Rainbird is supposed to be Native American, Native American. and he's white as hell. Because he has like an Indian coat on when he gets out of the car. He has that uh, long ponytail. Yeah. He's not an Indian. No, no. But I'm going to get into that later. He gets out of the car and then we see him in the hallway. Yeah, he's dressed like an orderly or yeah, something. Yeah, like a clean, clean maintenance man, yeah, he's cleaner. pushing the cart with, like, cleaning supplies. Yeah, and he stops out in front of Charlie's room, and he puts an eye patch on. And he goes in, and uh, he just comes in, and I guess he is now what is John, the cleaning man. Yeah, she's playing, like, is that Atari? I think so. It's an Atari or Nintendo. I can't, I couldn't recall which one. But she's there playing a game, and... He just kind of is trying to engage in a little small talk with her, and she isn't... Not interested. Yeah. Yeah, she she isn't receptive to this. He asked her, can you show me how to play that game? And she says, no. No. (laughs) I like her little outfit. She's got little red pants on, and then she's got a pair of probably the uh, original Adidas shoes. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably so. Yeah, I feel safe to say it's probably, yeah. Uh, It probably is a... Yeah, I don't doubt that. This is the point after this, doesn't she just leave and go into another room while he's no, in there No, he pretty much, she's she's just kind of not showing any interest. This this scene is kind of like the first time he's tried to... He's trying to, trying to feel, get to know her. Feel her out, basically. Yeah. yeah. This scene just kind of dies out with nothing really happening. Yeah, it's like he's just trying to kind of feel yes. her out. Okay, and then this is one of the scenes you was talking about where... No, no, this isn't it. This well, is where Andy is with Dr. Pincho and Hollister, and he wants to ask about, he asks about Charlie. Yeah, he wants to see Charlie, and mm-hmm. that doctor tells Andy if he does what they want, he'll get to see her. Yeah, he says, well, maybe soon. And, and, and they want to do a test. Yeah, and he says he'll do it for them. They yeah. leave the room and go to watch, kind of like in a glass, you know. Two-way mirror. Two-way mirror. Yeah, and another room. man comes in the room with Andy. Kind of explains, like, they just told him in, to come in here and talk to Andy. Yeah. Andy's like, well, they said I was going to do a test. Do you know what kind of test they want? Yeah, because Pincho, Hollister, and Rainbird is in this room, too. Watching. And they're watching this mm-hmm. intently to see what happens. And Andy, the guy comes in, and the guy gets some water. 
Yeah, he says he's kind of nervous, and Andy's like, do you want some water? And he gets water, and then suddenly Andy starts to put his hands on his head, and he tells that guy to put ink in his water. And the guy's just like, what? looks at him for kind of an incredible, mm. with an incredible look on his face. Mm-hmm. The first thing he says, are you kidding? It didn't work. Then, you know, the guy just kind of uh, ups and just kind of leaves. He's like, mm-hmm. you know... Anyway, behind the mirror, you know, Rainbird is just like looking at him. Says, "You know, I guess all these drugs you're giving him are affecting him because he he can't do anything anymore." Mm-hmm. Hollister's just sitting there like he he's just he's lost it. Yeah, he's no use anymore. Yeah, like, increase his medicine. We'll figure out what to do with him later. You know, which doesn't sound good. Which yeah. I really don't think they had much interest in him anyway. I, I know. I still don't feel that way myself. Because they had to have known drugging him was going to do something. Yeah, that's what I feel like, too. I mean, that's why that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, why I they... think their only, only interest was in getting her. And then just Rainbird, you know, kind of talks about, um, you know, as far as uh, Charlie. He said, eventually she'll trust me like a brother, you know. Yeah. He seems very confident in himself. And then we cut back to uh, Rainbird is going back to do his cleaning duties again as John the cleaning man, I guess you could say. And John comes in and starts cleaning and she just says something like, you know, why do you keep coming in here? You know, because I don't make a mess or anything. Yeah, and he says, like, why well, do you come every day? I'm uh, not messy. Well, he says, it's my job. It's my job. And he yeah. says, you know, he just kind of looks up at the camera and walks over to her and says, you know, besides these people are just full of shit. Mm-hmm. She and, says, I want to see my father. Yeah, and he's uh, like, yeah, he said, I can understand. But you know? I don't know where he is. Yeah. Um, you know, he's just kind of talking to her and telling her, you know, maybe, you know, do what they want you to do. Maybe they'll let you get to see him, something like that. Yeah, because she's like, they, they say I can see him when I do something bad for yeah, them. Yeah. And he's like, well, maybe you should do it, be able to see your dad. Kind of basically being very manipulative and everything. Mm-hmm. And. I don't know. She just kind of gets up and just goes into her bedroom. Into her bedroom, and you know we start to hear a storm outside brewing and everything like that. And the lights are flickering on and off in the whole house. Yeah, and, and uh, John's just kind of looking around. Then about that time, the lights go out. Then John starts to act like he's freaking out because it's dark. Yeah, he starts banging on her bedroom door, telling her to let him in. And that he just seems scared and frantic that he he's scared of the dark. Yeah, he, he's he locked can't in. Get out. Yeah, he's locked yeah. in. And then Charlie comes out and he's just like running across the room, trying to bang on the door, saying, mm-hmm. "There's people in here. Let us out." And she, and Charlie is being very sympathetic. Goes over there, tries mm-hmm. to calm him down. Yeah, he explained he's scared because he's scared of the dark because when he was captured by the Kong. Yeah, Vietnam. In Vietnam. Yeah, in Vietnam. Do you think the story was true? Was he trying to get pity points with her? I'm trying to remember in the book. I want to say that this story was true in the book, but I haven't read the book in a while, so my memory is kind of vague. Do I think he was afraid of the dark? No. But I think he was using this story of something that happened to him. Happened to, him kind of, to explain why he was acting yeah, that Yeah, to kind of give it some uh, levity. She immediately comforts him. Yeah, and he says he was put down in a dark hole when he was <clears> captured in Vietnam. And he said he had, they just threw uh, rotten rice down to him, to him to eat, and he had to kill big spiders and eat those. Yeah. You know, you know he's just, you know, and she's sitting there just calming down. And Charles like, don't worry about it. We'll, 
we're here together. He tells her he wish he could help her like she's helping him. And yeah. she asked him, can he take a note to her father? Then I think this is where, don't we cut to Andy is, and he's in his room? Yeah, he's talking to himself in a mirror. And he's telling himself he can't take any more pills. Yeah. So that he can be clear enough to get out and get to Charlie. Yeah, and it just does make you wonder if they were giving him these pills on purpose, just not only dampen his powers, but to just make him like he's not useful, so that gives them an excuse to kill him. Also, they feel like he has some control over her, and if they were to get back together, that, you know, that's I think the big fear, and so they, they come up to... they come up with that here in mm-hmm. a little bit too. Then we kind of cut back to uh, John is a. Uh, Telling Charlie, you know, they're still in a room there and, you know, I can, maybe I can see your dad and maybe try to get a note to him. John just asked her, why not just use your power? Yeah, he and just keeps trying to, trying to hint trying at, to why don't it. you just do what they want? And she says, well, you don't understand. It's like, you know, it's like letting a wild animal out right. of a cage. And she tells him that she's sorry for hurting people. But she does. See, it's torture to her because yeah. she does it. And then she feels awful for doing it. Yeah, but then John just says, well, maybe do this. He says, use your power for them, but only do it how much you want to do it. And don't give them everything that they want. Mm -hmm. Kind of want it, something like that. You know, you control it, not them. You know, so he's kind of playing that. I guess he's kind of manipulating her to use it, but making her seem like she was in control. And then about that time, uh, the power comes back on. And John is relieved. Charlie hugs John. You can see Charlie's just, you know, she's getting sleepy. So John just kind of picks her up in his arms and carries her and puts her in a bed like a like a dad would. And she's wearing a leotard. Yeah. Which made me think I always wore leotards when I was little, even though before I took dance. I don't know. It was an 80s thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> puts her down she goes to sleep and he kisses her on the forehead and then he just has this kind of look of like almost like well she whispers in her sleep daddy yeah and and then he just grins yeah yeah. it's weird he's so sinister well it's almost like too it just makes you wonder if he could actually kill charlie that's when the time he would do it like he did the doctors yep well he mentions that later yeah and then we cut to, I guess, one of the first uh, tests because Charlie is in a room and she's standing there. It's like this kind of metal room. I guess something similar to the kind of room her dad was in with his test. Behind a two-way mirror, we have Pinchot is there, Hollister's there, and Rainbird is there again watching. There's a bunch of people in this and, room, but and, and, you don't really know who they are. And they're all kind of just, I guess, technicians yeah. are in the room. And what you see there is there's a little thing of wood chips in front of Charlie. Yeah, and she kind of makes a joke. Wood chips. Yeah. They couldn't give me something harder. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and even Rainbird seems to be amused by that when he hears that. Charlie just stands there, and the temperature starts to go up. Her hair starts blowing. Yeah, and I think they can even feel the temperature Mm -hmm. going up in there behind in the room where the two-way mirror Mm -hmm. is. The chips just burst into flame. Charlie just starts saying, back off, back off. And then the, there's a bathtub full of water there. And the water, the top of the water starts catching on but fire, But this is too. the first time she's transferred. Yeah. She's, she's transferred the fire from the wood chips to the bathtub. Yeah, yeah. So she's she's growing in her abilities. 
And she's also, when she says back off, yeah, the bathtub went out. Yeah. So she's getting control of what she's doing. Yeah. And it's basically, you know, she, she's kind of learning to calm herself down is really what it is. She, she's kind of getting. But also do more. And do more too. Yeah. I mean, she is like, yeah, you're right. She's controlling it. And that room back there, Hollister is just all ecstatic about this. Yeah, he's so excited that she did it and they caught it on camera. And he said something about this is going to be good for evidence and this is going all the way to the Supreme Court. Yeah. I don't know what he meant by that. I think it's he wants to use Charlie and harness her power and maybe even use her as a weapon. Weapon. And I guess through them, they would make it yeah. law. Yeah. Or even that lot six, you yeah. know, those experiments, mm-hmm. they could make it where it isn't like a secret. Or they could take Charlie and try to figure out what's causing that in her and make others like her. Yep, like man a little army. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then Hollister, of course, is outside. Then Pinchot kind of bursts his bubble a little bit and tells Hollister she only did this because she thinks she will see her yeah, dad. Yeah, it's cruel. You promised her she could see her dad. Yeah. And then... It's like, she can never see her dad again. Yeah, she can never see. They can never see each other. John's like, we never meant for her to ever see him again. Yeah, because Pinchel says, basically, if you let her see her dad, her dad will convince him. Her to destroy destroy us all. Destroy all of us. (laughs) Yeah. About that time, you know, Rainbird just gets up and walks over to the window or the two-way mirror and looks and says, well, you know, you got a little problem here. Your fire starter just literally walked right out of the room when the door was left open. Hollister starts yelling for everybody to go after and nobody wants to go after this little girl because they just watch what she can do. Yeah, everybody's just like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Rainbird says, yeah, who in here wants to go get the little girl? <laughs> And nobody. nobody, nobody's volunteering. He finally walks off. This is strange. Charlie just goes right back to her room. Why didn't she try to? I don't know. That go find the, her father. That's just very odd to me. I don't understand. I think she's just starting to feel real hopeless. Yeah, that's and, what I'm thinking too. I and mean, like they're never gonna let her see her dad. Yeah, and she just goes back to her room and she just lays down on the bed. Mm. And you cut to a scene of her her dad's laying down on the bed too. And you kind of wonder if they're kind of communicating Meeting, maybe in yeah. a weird little way. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I that was just, that was a very strange scene. And then uh, we cut to a scene a little bit later and the dad's kind of laying in the bed and Hollister it brings him in his pills. Yep. And Andy just sits there and takes his pills and everything, you know, like a good little soldier. And he, uh, he, it's like he's acting like he's eager to take the medicine. Yeah, please yeah. give me my yeah, medicine. Yeah, I can't my, really live without my medicine. Yeah, give me my meds. Holster asked him, would he like to go to Maui? Yeah, he says that your powers are diminished, uh, and he asks, uh, you know, he says, uh, how would you like to be? You know, we're talking about transferring you to a compound we have in Maui. And uh, Andy said, that sounds great. He said, well, I still get my meds. Hollister says, of course. And it makes me wonder if this compound in Maui is code for like, we're going to kill you. I took it as that. That's what I took it as. I didn't take that they were going to take him. They were just going to take him somewhere and kill him. Yeah, because he's of no use to him anymore. That's what I was Nobody would ever know where he was. But I don't know. It just, it does make me wonder if they would have killed him because even though his power is gone now. Who says it wouldn't have came back? And maybe they would want to keep him alive just to see. That and also, 
What if she just straight up refused to do anything? Yeah, and he's And dead. they could have used him as leverage. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you don't do this, we're going to kill him. Yeah, and if she started to ask, well, where is he? I want to see that he's alive, yeah. and if they can't present that, then... Yeah. So it does make me wonder. Hollister, you know, after he says, yeah, you can get your meds, and he says, don't worry about it. I'll get everything set up right away. Start getting things set up right away to transfer you out. And after Hollister leaves, Andy goes to the bathroom and takes and spits the pills out. He didn't swallow them. He didn't swallow them. So uh, Andy is, uh, I think he's realizing that these pills are messing with his power, so he's not going to be taking yeah, them anymore. Yeah, he needs to get them out of his system so that he can get out of there. And then uh, we cut to the next day, and Charlie is out with uh, John. And uh, they're at the horse stables out there, uh, saddling up some horses to go out horseback riding. He's doing a really good job of deceiving her because she's getting really attached to him. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, you know, they're out riding and everything. And then, you know, after a little bit, they're walking the horses and just kind of relaxing, you know, and just having a little walk. And she, They discuss that her powers are getting stronger and that she's getting more control yes. over them, which we know she shouldn't have told him that, yeah. but she doesn't know that. But then John just says something like along the lines of, uh, Maybe you need to show them a few more times, but make sure you get something in return for it. Kind of a system where I'll give you this, but you give me this. So he's kind of trying to keep her showing these powers, even though they he knows that they're not going to give her anything, but he's manipulating, manipulating her. her. And this is where you was talking about, you know, where John asked her how she feels about it now. She says it's different now, it's stronger and yeah. she says she can even control it a little bit more. You can kind of see the look on John's face that this is kind of interesting for him to hear. She's not, like, she would use it to set people on fire, but when she transferred it, it was a line yeah. of fire. And then uh, uh, after this scene, we cut to a second test. Mm-hmm. And this is just like the first one, you know, Rainbird and all of them are behind uh, the glass. And this time, there are cinder blocks there, and there's like a big kind of ice, um, I guess what you call it, kind of like an ice sculpture there. Yeah, sitting next to it. She starts, and the temperature starts going up in there in the room again. The cinder blocks start to catch on fire, and then they start blowing apart. Then the ice and the, the ice sculpture just just melts. Because they said it, the room would have been minus 30, added up to 109. Yeah, yeah. It's getting hot. Yeah, because the ice just just uh-huh. melts right into water. And then after she melts the ice, it's almost like she's had enough and she stops it. And then she yells, I want to see my hey, father. My and then uh, you hear Pinchaw come, voice comes through the speakers. He just says, soon, Charlie. And then she says, I want to see him soon. Or she says, she will make something happen. Starting to threaten them. Yeah, she's starting to threaten them. There really isn't anything they can do. No, no. If she mm-hmm. unleashes on them, it's it. Mm-hmm. Her dad is the only one that technically is keeping her at bay. But then we cut back to Andy in his room, and he's watching TV. And he is just sitting there, and then he kind of starts to use his power a little bit, and the channel start turning on he's the TV. Testing he's testing himself to see if himself. it's coming back. And apparently, and it is. And it's coming back. You can see him not taking his pills is working. 
Then we cut to a scene with a Hollister, Rainbird, and Pincho. And Pincho wants to do more tests. Then you find out, you know, ask Hollister. And Hollister's like, yeah, the arrangements by her dad have been made. Hollister asked John, what happens if Charlie finds out that John is deceiving her? He said that he might have a good chance of finding out what a steak feels like burning in a microwave. Yeah, I was just get, about to get to that scene because uh, Pincho leaves after yeah, he, he mentions that. And that's when Hollister asked that question. Yeah, like a steak grilled in a microwave. Hollister gets up to go get a drink. And he just finally asked this question. He says, what do you want with her after we're done with her? Yeah. He says, what I will do is I will come in and basically make her happy. He says, I will go in her room and make her happy as only I can. And then when she's at her happiest, he'll strike her in the nose. Bridget the nose, killing her. Like he did to the doctor earlier. Yeah. And he says, I'll look into her face and her eyes. And I'll know what her power is. Yeah. So when he dies, he will take her power with him. With him. Well, he says when he dies, which he hopes will be soon, he will take her power with yeah. him to the other side. To the other side. And Hollister just looks at him, and he just walks and goes out the room. And as he's walking out of the room, he says, you are crazy. Crazy, Because you really can't tell. Like, is the dude just psycho? Or is it is there some kind of spiritual undertones in this movie? Like, I even typed in and tried to, like, the Native American part. Is there any kind of, in their culture, about fire starters? I couldn't find anything. No, no. I think um, it's... Um, he's I, just weird. I think he thinks that... If he's the one that kills her, her power will we'll transfer to him. Will transfer to him. That's what I feel like it is. And then we cut to the next day, and Hollister's with Andy, and they're walking around outside. Hollister tells Andy he will be leaving soon. Yeah, later that night at eight o'clock, there'll be a helicopter coming for him. Now here's the strange thing, and this is where the killing somebody came into play to me. Hollister's walking around with this piece of cloth like. Something you could almost put something around somebody's neck and strangle them. I thought it was a leaf off of a tree, no, like one it, of those uh, long branches. Uh, it was uh, a like cloth. Yes, yeah, a piece of cloth, like yeah. a. Str- was he going to kill him? That's what I, I don't know. That's what's so See, weird I didn't about this. I thought that was a leaf. Yeah, because he kept turning it around in his hands, like oh he was yeah, you're right. He did do that. So it almost made me wonder: was he going to sit there and throw that around Andy's and throat then and move just the body strangle him? Or whatever. Yeah, and, and kill him. Wow. I mean, that's I don't know if that was what was going to happen there, but it kind mm. of made me think that. Yeah, and Hollister is just walking around doing that, and then Andy is Andy standing with his face back to him. He mm-hmm. says, "You need to watch out about that snake in your hand. It could bite you. Yeah, it could bite you." And then Hollister looks down. Of course, that piece of fabric has turned into a snake, mm-hmm. like a guard snake. And he drops it, and you realize, okay, well, Andy's got his, he's using his powers. He's got it back. And then Andy starts getting information about, you know, telling him, like, uh, the chopper. It's going to be here at 8 o'clock. I think this is when he mentions, says, okay, we're going to Hawaii. We're going to make a stop on the way. In California. In to California. Refuel. Re- refuel. I think his other information, he wants, uh, oh, yeah, he wants Hollister to get a note to Charlie and tell, to meet him, them at the stables at about 15 to 8. Well, he first tells him he's con- he, he wants him to radio the helicopter to say he's coming with them. Yeah, that's right. Hollister's going and to be And he's with. like, no, I right. won't do that. And then he keeps using his powers on him. Yeah. And then he says, oh, okay, I'll go. Yeah. And then he pretty much says, I want you to 
get a letter to Charlie to tell him that she's coming with us. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So he's totally it, controlling him. Yeah. Now. I think I think it took him a few tries, but he eventually got full control Which, of him. That would be really interesting if he planned to kill him and then he turned it on him and mm-hmm. took over his mind. Yeah. Then we cut to a scene of John coming to Charlie's room. Well, it shows her reading the letter. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. I, I totally skipped that part. But then we see that Charlie's gotten this letter from her dad talking about meeting him at the stables. And yeah, and he says, when you're done reading this, destroy this letter. Yeah, there And you just go. as she's finishing reading it, John comes in. Yeah. And what does she do? She runs straight to him because she thinks she can trust him yeah, and tells, and tells him everything. John tells Charlie that he'll take her. To the stables and mm-hmm. she's like no 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 you'll uh, get in trouble get caught. yeah you would get in trouble about that time an agent comes up the elevator and talks to charlie he says uh, i'll be taking you to the stables tonight about eight o'clock yeah hollister sent him yeah hollister sent him and mm-hmm. says that and john just kind of makes his yeah he just splits uh, yeah he just kind of <laughs> splits and then we cut to night and then we see rainbird walking to the stables and he's going up, he gets in the stables, and he goes up into the loft. He's Pretty, always getting in everything. Uh, easy. But, <laughs> um, he gets in that upper loft with a hayloft. Yeah, he's up in the hayloft. He can see that that man's bringing Charlie out. Yeah, he notices that the agent's bringing Charlie in. And Rainbird, you see he has a gun. He has like a revolver. Let me see here. This is about the time the agent's taking charlie around to look for somebody then charlie just tells the guy to leave yeah she's like leave yeah um and he was like no and he's holding her hand she sets his hand on fire yeah or makes his hand feel hot yeah to turn loose of her and then she he tries to pull a gun but she makes the gun hot almost like burning his hand and he drops the gun and she just tells him get out of here go or i'll burn you up yeah i'm like dang yeah and and of course naturally the smart move on his part is he goes and as he leaves, you hear Rainbird up there calling Charlie's name. While he's talking to her, it shows a scene of Hollis and Andy on their way to the stable. They're like in a golf cart. Hollister's telling Andy about John, that John has deceived her. Yeah, well, he says, uh, been keeping an eye on her. Mm-hmm. This guy, Rainbird, he's the one that brought them in. Yeah. And he's... uh been getting close to Charlie mm-hmm. as like a orderly named John. Andy now knows about Rainbird. Then we cut back to the loft. Rainbird is calling to Charlie and saying, you know, what are you doing here? You're mm-hmm. going to get in trouble. He tells her to come up to him. And just as she's kind of starting to climb up, Andy comes in the door. Yeah, she's starting to hit up the ladder and she's like, yeah, come to Uncle John. Come on. Yeah, come on oh, up there. You know, just kind of trying to just get his hands on her. Andy comes in the stable and he calls out to her and they run and... Yeah, they embrace because yeah. that the first time they've seen each other. Yeah. You don't know how long they've actually been there. Yeah, I don't know. Rainbird, as this is going on, he moves around the loft. Andy asks Charlie, is okay? He says, yeah, I'm okay. My friend John is here too. Yeah. And then Andy's mm-hmm. like... Basically, Andy tells Charlie about John. He's not really her friend. He's been He's the one that shot them and brought them there. Yeah, and, and Charlie at first can't believe that yeah. she's like no no that's not right yeah. and she said and then dad says yeah it is and of course mm-hmm. she's gonna naturally believe her dad and then she asks john is that true and he says yes and she tells him to come down or she'll burn everything up and then he says i don't think so because he says 
If you burn me up, you're going to be burning a lot of horses in here. And, and even know one horse, uh, there's a horse called Necromancer. Necromancer that she's been riding yeah. with him. So he's like, no, you're he's not. He's still trying to manipulate her. Yeah. She wants to know why he won't let them go. Jaws says he can't let them go. And all he cares about is her kind of come up to him. And John tells her he won't hurt her father if she comes to him. Yeah, because then she's like, yeah, do I, I have your word? word. And he yeah. says, yeah. <laughs> like she shouldn't trust him. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, you have my real word. Mm-hmm. I will not hurt him. She starts toward the ladder, and then Andy suddenly tells Hollister to kill John. Runs and scoops her up. Hollister starts shooting at John, but then John shoots him right in the head. Yeah, shoots Hollister right in I the... I was like, whoa. Yeah, right through the skull and just kills him. And then Andy starts to try to push Rainbird. And you can see Rainbird's up there and like, like his head. You can see it's like hurting his head. It's like, oh. Yep. And then uh, Andy tells Rainbird, jump. And of course, Rainbird is just like, he can't stop himself. So he just literally jumps, jumps. off of that yeah. uh, thing. And then, you know, hurt. I guess he lands on his leg and hurts his leg. But he also still has his gun in his hand and... He turns and he shoots Andy yeah, he shoots in the Andy. neck. Yeah, it's right, right around in the neck area. Charlie's just like upset and everything, and she runs over to her dad. And then Rainbird kind of just like eases his, tries to ease himself up. Rainbird says, Charlie, turn around here. Yeah, he's going to shoot her. He's going to shoot her, mm-hmm. and I want you to look at me. And she turns around and looks at him, and he's pointing a gun at her, and then the hair starts going. He shoots at her, but she sets his bullet on fire yeah, the, and sends yeah, it back at him. That's what I will say. Yeah, uh, the bullet fires, mm-hmm. and it stops, and it blows up. This is the first time she shoots a straight fireball. Yeah, and she just basically torches him alive mm-hmm. right there. Uh, Rainbird is no more. The one thing I wanted to mention is he's burning. Did you hear what Rainbird says? No, I didn't. He says, I love you. Did he? Yeah. Oh, ew. What's the... I caught that the other night when I was doing my notes. I just don't understand what his fascination with it, her was before he even met her. Like well, why he had these He deems hers as a god. I mean, that's what I was kind of looking at because he even says she's got the power to gods. And I didn't notice that. Yeah. Uh, because I heard him say something that other night when I was watching uh-huh. it, and I backed it up and listened to it again. I listened to it very intently, and he says, as he's burning, and he's flying through there, and he lands against the door burning, he says, I love you. Oh, man. Yeah. About this time, sirens start going off at the shop, and people are milling out, and I guess mm-hmm. agents are coming out. And Charlie's standing over her dad's body, and her dad is saying, you got to get away. you got to yeah. get away. you got to get away if you can and to kill anyone that tries to stop you. And he said, you, you burn the whole place down. Yeah. You know, it's basically, yeah. he's officially freeing her, says, don't worry about what I tell you. You do what you sure. got to do to survive now. Right. Because you're, you know, telling her basically you're going to be on your own. He tells her to leave. I think he didn't want... Want her to see him die, and he also knows the barn's going up. Yeah, and the barn's and the barn's burning up, and all the horses are trying to get out of their stalls. And that's the scene gave me such anxiety. I thought these horses are going to burn up. These horses are going to (laughs) burn, but they yeah, thankfully you know we'll see her in a little bit. They don't. (laughs) Yeah, and he just tells her to go, and he tells her he loves her, Mm -hmm. and then he dies. That's so sad. Yeah, agents start surrounding the stable, and she. Uh, next thing you know, the doors blow off of this thing, and these agents are just blown out of the way and yeah. set on fire. 
She starts melting the locks off of the horses. Yeah, um, the, hin- the hinges and the locks and the Let's whole door out. falls off and the horses There's start like running out. a barn out. full of horses. Yeah, and them horses take off and they're yeah, out of the stable. Knocking and, the, you know, people out of their way. And the only things that probably survived this, too. Yes. Because, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, because after this... Uh, she comes out. She and... walks out and it is mind-blowing to see how... All these people are running and screaming for their lives. A six-year-old girl, well, supposed to be six years old, tiny, who's walking out there, and this like the devil himself is walking out of this barn. Her little denim outfit, yeah, her little denim jacket and jeans, and and she just starts blowing everything up. And you see like fireballs being shot. Doctor Pincho is in a like a little golf Golf cart. Yeah, she just blows him up in that thing. And then dummies keep shooting at her and she's it's just like ricocheting off of her. It's it's almost like the bullets are melting and just going away right as they're hitting her. And it's almost like they're just agents are being burnt up. People are running away. And she is just wiping basically what her dad said, anything that gets you in your way you take it out but this is the first time i mean that scene at the farm was pretty bad but this scene she is like shooting fireballs yeah she's shooting fire in lines on the grass yeah and just catching people on fire there's a lot of fire stunts in this scene yes and it's very impressive because i know i imagine fire stunts they don't really do them anymore now they got cgi really but back Mm -hmm. in the day you actually set somebody on fire you had like stunt yeah, stunt, stunt people doing them. And then we come to another scene where she's like walking just steadily up to that house, the, the main shop headquarters. And there's an agent there who's firing at her. It doesn't do anything. And he's just like, oh, no, God. don't. And then she just takes and launches his ass like a fireball into a tree, <laughs> which is my second favorite scene in this movie. I'm going to say this. I know Rainbird, he dies like he does. But I kind of felt like this was the death he should have got where his ass was launched like that, you know, Uh into like a tree or into something, you know, just Mm -hmm. to make his death even more pronounced. And I said, this is my second favorite scene where that agent is just launched in there, just in a big fireball in a tree. Like a truck that comes at her with like a Gatling gun on it and shooting at her and yeah. she just blows the truck up. Yeah. And, and a, a helicopter. Yeah, and this helicopter's coming in and it's going to do something. And she's just standing down there and then... They're like, don't move. Don't move. Yeah. <laughs> and she's not moving. She's standing there. She don't have to move. <laughs> yeah. And then that helicopter just blown blows and, up. Yeah, blows into a fireball. And then she starts shooting almost like fireballs. Like, mm-hmm. like he's yeah into this into the main shop house and is just blowing it to pieces mm-hmm. people are running out of that house you know on fire and the few people that aren't on fire are just running and screaming <laughs> which i guess anybody would be i mean she basically in a short amount of time just decimates this place she took she destroyed the shop every piece yeah. of property on it the house is gone yeah uh the barn is gone and then after that is done, she just starts crying. Yeah, and she says, this is for you. This Daddy. is for you, Daddy. Then we cut to, we see the shot of the house and it's just, everything's destroyed. Daddy. And then we cut to a scene of we're back at uh, Irv's home. The truck's dropping Charlie off to them because she didn't know anywhere else to go. She had nowhere else to go but there. I think in some ways they noticed that the dad isn't there with her. Yeah, anymore. and do you remember when she was in the car? 
in the, the truck the first time and Irv was talking about he always wanted a little girl. Yeah, that's And it. he just never had a chance to have one. And I thought, well, here's his chance. Yeah, he's got one now. And I think uh, they see the dad isn't there and they get the point that she's on her own now. Yeah. So she's ours. And then uh, we cut to Irv is, uh, and Charlie are like in the city. I guess we kind of get the idea that this is New York and they're standing at the doors of the New York Times. Which I think in the book it was Rolling Stone magazine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> originally. If my memory is correct on it, I won't say it was Rolling Stone. Well, they said they were going to write all the big newspapers, but they seemed to concentrate on the New York Times for some reason. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, it's a, that was a prestige paper back in the day. And, you know, they let everyone know what happened. He's like, you're going to be safe now. And she says, I'm doing it, Daddy. I love you. And then yeah. they walk into the building. Yeah, they walk in, and that is the, the end. end of Firestarter. Firestarter. I guess what we're going to do right here is, do you have <laughs> any trivia that you want to throw out on this one? Because I have to admit, I probably got a pile of it. i just going to read a few things. Okay. So I'll let you go ahead and go first. George C. Scott wears an eye patch over his left eye during the final hour half of the film, which was due to an infection caused by contact lenses used earlier in the film. The eye was not quite healed and had to wear it to complete the film in his scenes. Because he was supposed to be scarred from Vietnam and his eye, he was supposed to be blind in his eye and all. That makes sense. That makes so they sense. had to give him those like cloudy looking light eyes mm-hmm. in the first part of the movie. Yeah. In a 2010 interview, director Mark Lester confirmed that this was the most difficult film that he has ever made. He said that all the practical effects, the fireballs you see, that's not CGI. Oh, wow. Back then, we actually created fireballs that could fly through the air. They were on a wire that could crash into buildings. We had people on fire that were on trampolines that had to flip through the air. It was very dangerous. All the effects were done right on the set. It was a pretty intense thing to do then. Oh, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. I can definitely imagine. Is that the farm scene in that last scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. Martin Sheen took over at a late stage from Burt Lancaster, who had to withdraw following heart surgery. Yeah, I have that down here myself. Producer Dino... De Laurentiis. De Laurentiis paid a million dollars for the film rights to the books. Yeah, I do remember reading that uh, in an article where he talked about, yeah, he paid a cool one million to Stephen King for the rights. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a nice little payday right there. Charlie McGee was modeled on Stephen King's daughter, Naomi. Yeah, I thought I remembered hearing that somewhere. I mean, I guess I could see that because you write stuff. It seems like you write stuff that involves family stuff as far as his kids. You know, because I think Pet Cemetery was written out of fear of losing his child. Oh, and this answers my question. The video game Charlie is playing in her room is Slither, 1982 by Century 2, on a coal company vision game console i don't remember that one i, I have to admit i don't either i was an atari kid yeah so that was pretty much it i mean we were too poor but my cousin had an atari yeah but yeah i do i think the first one i got was a sega yeah i mean we i had an atari and those things were expensive yeah back then. Uh, we were too poor yeah yeah <laughs> this was heather lockler's film debut oh no i didn't know that that's, yeah. Was I sitting there th- well, I think maybe she was on TV and stuff at the time, but maybe, yeah, I guess that is it. Maybe this was her first movie. Well. I guess that's all I'm going to do. Okay. I got a few things here. The movie was filmed on a $12 million budget, and it made around 20 
Not really a good return on your investment, considering. And it was filmed, like we was talking about, in and around Wilmington, North Carolina, and Chimney Rock, and Lake Lure, North Carolina. Wilmington was where uh, Maxim Overdrive was in. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. Now, here's where I'm going to get into some interesting stuff here. King at one time now this was back when maximum overdrive was out so i think his mind has changed a little bit on this movie he called at this time probably this was the worst adaptation of his work called it flavorless like cafeteria mashed potatoes he just was not a fan of this movie he gotta be talking about calling out mashed potatoes though yeah well i know stay you're, out yeah, of yeah it. that's what i know that's fighting words <laughs> that's for you. right that's fighting words stay out of it you know, he didn't like the hair blowing things and stuff like that. Yeah, but that kind of showed her powers. Well, that's some visible signs well, of it. Well, that's the way I look at it. It's almost like film is a visual medium. Yeah. So you got to see things visually. Yeah. And I thought that that was, because I, I always just like looked at it like the hair. It was almost like her body was building heat and it was like yeah. blowing her hair. The way I always looked at it, I didn't realize that that was such an ordeal or a big deal. I mean, and you know, he, he was basically very critical of the film and then i read an interview with the director and he said it was always interesting to hear king say that because king approved the script he actually read and helped with the script and he seemed to even be interested you know fine with the hair blowing things so he said it was always odd to hear that from him come on the back end and say he didn't yeah but then i was watching there was something, I want to say it was with Drew Barrymore. I think it might have been her show. I don't know if it's still on. And King was on there. And King was even talking about the movie in a favorable way on there. So I got to thinking maybe he didn't like the movie at the time and maybe his opinions kind of changed on well, it as the years. Didn't you say he was a drunk? Maybe his whole outlook has changed. Well, from by all accounts, this was one of the books that he wrote around the time his drug problem was pretty bad. Yeah, and he, maybe he's just less critical now. Well, I mean, there's some of his film adaptations he is still critical of, but even The Shining he doesn't like. It seems like this one, maybe he's warmed to it a little bit more. We need to do The Shining just so that I have a reason to watch that. Yeah, we can do that. I I've, never, yeah. I've never seen it. I mean, I ain't opposed to that. And this was originally supposed to be a John Carpenter film that he did right after the thing. Basically what happened is Carpenter was signed to do this. The writer of the thing wrote a couple of drafts of the script, I think. But once the thing bombed in the theaters, Carpenter was kind of let go from the film because naturally the thing didn't do well. And they're like, well, we don't want you doing this. Yeah. And I think what it was is they basically cut the budget and Carpenter was just like, well, I can't do it like this. So they just kind of let him go. I had a magazine that I was trying to dig up before we did this podcast, but I couldn't find it. And it kind of goes into a little bit of what that Carpenter version would be. It was going to be more of a road picture where it was like Charlie and her dad stayed on the road the whole time. I don't think the shop thing came into play at the end of it. And Rainbird wasn't in it. Yeah. It was a female scientist who was trying to track them down. Judging by the little bit that I was looking at this story, it's like he used some of these ideas later. I don't know if you've ever seen Starman. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it kind of played 
that and the and they live. It seemed like he, the Firestar script was a, like a combination of those two. Mm, that'd have been interesting. It was basically Carpenter's a very anti-government, anti-religion, uh, yeah, and all these mm. kind of things. And mm-hmm. I think that was going to be a lot of what was going to come into play in this. I tried to find this script to read it. I've had no luck. But I would love to read it. And if anybody's listening to this podcast and they have a copy of this script, uh, please, we're going to give the email at the end of this mm-hmm. podcast. And feel free to send me a copy of this script because I would love to read it. Or tell us where we can get it. Yeah, because I, I know it's got to be out there somewhere because other people have read it. But yeah. I just don't have access to it. And finally, there was a sequel to this movie that was done in 2002 for the Sci-Fi Channel. It was a four-hour miniseries called Firestarter Rekindled, Mm. or Firestarter 2. And uh, what's the name of this actress? Marguerite Moreau played Charlie. And Charlie was like in her late teens, early 20s at the time in this story. Rainbird is back. Horribly burned. Oh, but he didn't die? He didn't die. Oh, wow. And he's played by Malcolm McDowell in this movie. Not a Native American. No, no, they're not a Native American, (laughs) no. Really what it involves is it kind of contradicts some stuff from this movie. And like Rainbird didn't seem too terribly interested in what they were doing there. He just wanted Charlie. But in this movie, he's kind of continuing the lot six stuff. It's almost like he's building up an army of people like that itself, and some of them are going after Charlie. Some of you know people that can take the life force out of you and things like that. Oh, okay. And he's trying to get Charlie. This movie, I can't say it's a great movie, but it does have some interesting ideas to it, and it was almost like it was a setup for a TV series because at the end of it, you could kind of see that okay, they're setting this up to go even further. Yeah, they did. They did, and I heard that they were talking about spinning it off into a show, but it it never did happen. Can't say it's great, but if you are curious, I'd say give it a look because it's not terrible. I mean, you know, you got to take it for what it is. It's a sci-fi channel movie, so the effects aren't going to be as great or anything like that. But it's not. It's not bad. I mean, yeah. it's not a bad movie at all for what it is. And now I'm going to go into the remake. The only movie that Rainbird is a Native American. Yeah. And he's my favorite Native American actor, yeah. Michael Gray Eyes. Yes. I don't want to go too deep into this one because it's still fairly new at the time of this recording. And yeah. I figure other people might want to watch it. But I did not like this movie at all. The only thing I thought was good in it was the girl that, and I forgot to write her name down, the one that played Charlie in the movie. I thought she was good. And I thought the John Carpenter score was good. But outside of that, this movie to me was boring. And the ending, I don't can't make no sense of this ending, mm. considering what happens in it. I don't want to say what the ending is in case you mm. decide to watch it. You know how this movie was made in, it came out in 84, right? So they made it in 83. This old version looks better and has better effects than this new one did. Because one thing that scared me that they were going to do with this new one, they did it. The fire is CGI. Oh, no. So that already kind of take. you can just look at like, oh, God, this is terrible. And you know how the shop is like destroyed at the end of this movie and it looks, you know, there's fireballs and all this stuff. Uh-huh. In this one, it is so scaled down. It's like the little girls just walking up a hallway in this place <laughs> and burning people up. 
And then she walks up another hallway and burns people up. And then that's it. Then there's a scene outside the shop at the end and it's in the distance and you see the place burning up. And that's it. And I'm just like, wow. Well, that build up didn't <laughs> no, no. deliver. And it's just like, I was sitting there and I just looked at this and I'm like, so this is 2022 at the time this came out. A number of years after the first one, you would think the effects would be better. You think yeah. the storytelling, you know, they could do more. Nah. No. <laughs> But I, like I said, I could rant on this movie for a while, but I don't want to do that. I feel like if you got to watch this to be a completist, watch it. Because yeah. you might like it. I didn't personally. Because it was just such a boring and lazy movie. Uh, it was just so boring the and lazy. The only reason why I want to watch it is Michael Gray Eyes. Well, was he one of the good things in the movie? or? Well, he was just nothing. It, it wasn't like the original John. No, 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 not at yeah. all. Like I said, opinions vary. Yeah. Your mileage will vary on uh-huh. this. Like I said, just because I don't like it, somebody else might like it and watch it and say, hey, this is great. I like yeah. this. But I can't say that I'm one of those. All I can tell you is at the end of the day, watch it, form your own opinion, and just go from there. But that is really all I can say about Firestarter a film series as of right now. I guess, if anything, what we'll do is, I guess, if you want to give your final thoughts on the movie and give your overall impressions, and we'll, we'll get the ratings done. I enjoyed, you know, doing this on a podcast, and, like, it was a good one to return, kind of revisit. And, yes. Because I enjoyed it just as much as I I did originally when I watched it. Even though I don't know why I didn't remember the dad died. I, yeah, I remember you told I, I me that. Like, he died. I could, I totally forgot that for some reason. Yeah. But I remembered her going to the old people's house, and he wasn't with her, so I don't know why I didn't connect that. But you just didn't remember. Okay. <laughs> Goofy brain. Oh, well, you know, sometimes things kind of drift out of your memory mm-hmm. after a while. You know, their relationship was sweet, loving, you know, to each other. and But then there you also have this supernatural, superpower kind of edge to the movie. Yeah. You know, where they're not a normal family. Oh, definitely not. Because, I mean, I think really that those experiments, you don't really know what you're going to get. It just manifests however. And I wondered if Vicky's was she could hear people's thoughts. Because yeah. remember when she heard his thoughts? That was her power. She could hear your thoughts. Yeah, they didn't dig too deep into no. hers, but of course uh-uh. she wasn't in the movie that long. Either. No, yeah. and yeah. you know she went out pretty bad. But, uh, yes, yes, she did. Um, but I guess that was they kind of did that to just kind of show how serious the shop was, how violent they were. Yeah, that's how what, serious they were about. That's what I gathered too. Capturing Charlie. Mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore was such a sweet little kid, you know, so sweet looking. And so cute in a lot of the scenes. She's so innocent. And then she can set people on fire. It's like a yeah, two she, sides well, to her. Well, there you go. I mean, and I'm going to get into that in my review. but And she's got a little temper, like a lot of little kids, you know. I never grew out of mine. <laughs> no, you, no, you did not. <laughs> We're in agreement there. <laughs> Peanut gallery ain't nasty. Oh, well. But... <laughs> But she, you know, I I thought to be so young, she kind of captured everybody's hearts in E.T., even though this was a totally different kind of character for her. But she was really good. I mean, she was like a little adult in some scenes. 
I agree. You know, she carried the lead at her age. The scenes with her and John were... I, I was kind of glad they didn't go any further with the weirdness. Like, I thought, oh, you know, I don't, I don't want it to have that kind of, you know, feeling. Okay. Well, while I got you here, what did you think of his character? You know, there is the scene where he's scared and he tells the story about the Vietnam. I wondered if he, part of him, maybe came back mentally disturbed, like yeah. so many soldiers did. Mm-hmm. But then he has this weird fascination with killing, killing them in a certain way. Why would he kill the doctor the same way he wanted to kill her? Like, he wanted to kill her and take her power. But it's just like, he likes to just be lethal. Like a psychopath. Like, there's this part of him that doesn't have any empathy or anything. Well, he seemed like he's somebody he can go from one to the other. He mm-hmm. just, he's he's playing a part. I mean, that was kind of the way I approached it, the way I looked at him. But I guess the big question that I was going to ask you And this is a little controversial thing, I guess more so now than back then. Does it bother you that it was a man who wasn't a Native American that played that part? Well, I thought it was strange. But it didn't bother you? But they didn't really spend a lot of time talking about it. It's just the only thing that really indicates Native American is his last name. And he had a Native American coat on and his hair like in a long pigtail, but they didn't ever really go into his heritage if they had i thought yeah that's really weird yeah because i was i was reading some stuff on this movie and that's one thing that people bring up all the time is they have a problem with george c scott in his part because he was a native american i mean i guess i can see that in this time a uh, landscape of time you know where yeah. everybody's got to the person of that particular race has got to play that particular part i mean i guess it doesn't bother me as much because i grew up back then where i remember watching old westerns where you could tell the indians were just painted yeah, white yeah, you yeah, know, yeah they white were white people. so i guess that doesn't bother me it's, it's, it's a very slippery slope to play because from what i remember hearing is they actually were looking at native american actors for this part at first but they couldn't really find anybody that they thought fit well it makes kind of more sense to pepper more popular actors in the movie to try to get people to watch it and that's what i was about to say because they couldn't really find a native american actor that famous enough that or that would work for the part that they didn't play it with enough menace or they didn't do anything like that but then they said somebody brought george c scott they knew, well, George C. Scott, you know, he had a fee, million dollars, and I'll yeah. do it. And I think the producers and everybody went to the studio, said, we can get George C. Scott for this part. It'll be a million dollars. They cut him a check and said, here's your million dollars. And I think the way they was looking at it, George C. Scott is like a, was a prestige actor back in the day. You know, yeah. him and like Martin Sheen in mm-hmm. particular, they were well known. Martin Sheen yeah. done Apocalypse Now Put and stuff like that. Put him in there and they'd be like, oh, look, he's in this. Yeah, it's George know? C. Scott. It's a name. So I can see that side of it too. I mean, the, would it have been better if it was a good Native American actor? I don't think it really mattered because there wasn't any scenes where he showed any kind of Native American rituals or uh, it spoke yeah. a language I mean, or anything carried from the 
book. Yeah, he was a Native American. So, Native like, book. if you read the book, you would know that was weird. But, like, if you, like, someone like me that hadn't read the book and you just watch it. No, I mean, when I, even when I first watched the movie when I was a kid, I didn't really glean that he, I mean, I noticed he had kind of Native American tendencies. But I guess in my own head, maybe I kind of put it like he was part Native American or something like that, maybe. I think his fascination with her would have been explained a little bit better if they had pointed out he was a Native American. Because there's so much in their culture that you get power from other things. Yeah. Um, but they never mentioned that he was Native American, so that didn't really make sense to me. See, like he had this fascination with her, but you don't know really where it came from. I mean, I don't know. It's just like I said, there's a lot of people have trouble with that, and I kind of want to get your thoughts on yeah. it, considering that, you know, like I said, for me personally, it doesn't detract from the movie mm-hmm. overall because to me George C. Scott's a good actor and he he brings it in any movie he's in you yeah. know, no matter what and I just didn't know if him not actually being a Native American if you fell into that where that bothered you I and, think and he could have either even been just named John Smith just like, like been lethal like, yeah, yeah, yeah and just be lethal like he was and it wouldn't have mattered yeah I think it that didn't play into me I mean even his last name Rainbird I mean to me I've mm-hmm. heard you know names like that before and I never would have thought oh Native American it would have been funny like karate chop and then scalp them yeah well then then, then you've been, 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 been like that's Native American yeah then that would have been Native American yeah but no he just did like maybe like an army person yeah just, and killed him yeah, very just quickly just a swift kill yeah so, like I said, it just didn't bother you. No. Okay. Okay. I mean, I just, I didn't mean to interrupt your review, but like I said, I know John came up in that scene and I was just kind of curious about your thoughts on it because that seemed to be a very controversial thing for a lot of people. I think he's a really interesting character because you you can't really figure him out. Yeah, I guess they didn't have a whole lot of time to go deeper into that. No, no, no. Whether, you know, is it something caused him to be that way or is he just a psychopath? Could be a little bit of both. And I hope to God he wasn't a pe- you know pedophile. When he said young and beautiful, it sent up my pedo radars. I think even King even said that it did skirt the line of mm-hmm. being a sexual kind of yep. thing for Rainbird. But he never went that far with it. But it does skirt that line. That's what immediately yeah. came up to me. But then they, they didn't take it any deeper than that. No, 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 no. no. Thankfully. But I mean, let's say you can keep going. I just wanted to do go down that a go down that a way real quick. Yeah, and I think the dad was a real good choice. That actor was a good combination with her. They seemed to have a lot of chemistry. Yeah, know. they played off each other pretty well. They had such a very sweet relationship, and yeah. I hated that he didn't make it. But I guess it does make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes Charlie like you know that's the thing, the catalyst to like okay, you know, you got to learn to take care of yourself now. You're yeah. you know. But I wondered, after she did all that, I know that they they had that other Firestarter too, but I'm just saying if they didn't, was she able to just go and live with those old people? Just put that behind her like she didn't have those powers or did she close it up after she did that? She knows nobody's really coming for her and she just put that behind her like she doesn't. They know she has those powers. Or is it something she's going to struggle with the rest of her life? Yep. As she gets into puberty and she gets... Or heartbroken and gets angry at somebody or whatever. Does it come out? Hormonal. Yes. Yeah. That'd be interesting yeah. <laughs> to well, know. Anything else? You got anything else? You but I, I enjoyed it. I thought, you know, there's not really any boring parts in it. It moves quick. And there was a few scenes in it that didn't make much sense. Yeah. They, they weren't followed through. 
very well, like the scene where she realized those guys were coming. But then when John's there, she has no sense of anybody there. That's true. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what the difference was. I, I don't know either. Or just script based that it had to be that way. That, that was where they were going to capture. Them. That's what I think, too. Just like this is the moment where the movie changes over to the shop. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's <laughs> our second our second yeah. half. Yeah. I'm glad we did it. I think it was a good pairing with Dead Zone this month. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Not quite the same, but in the same, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's not. It's really non-horror, really. Yeah. It's more of a thriller kind Had of thing. Had his creepy parts in it, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even his non-horror stuff has those kind of yeah. uneasy moments. Like the all. guy clawing his eyes out. Yeah. And I'll always remember that scene. Yeah. That's yeah. the scene that sticks in my head. Yeah, I can see where it would. And then just, just how ruthlessly she burns people. Oh, yeah. When, when she turns that on. Yeah, she. I mean, she burns everybody yeah. in her sight. So, anything yeah, else? Yeah, that's about it. I, I'm, I'm glad we did it. Okay. What are we going to go with here? Fireballs. That's, there you go. <laughs> oh, we can do that. One to ten fireballs. One being the worst, ten being the best. What are you going to go with here? I'm going with a nine. Oh, wow. This a nine. is a fondness of mine. So, kind of nostalgic mm-hmm. movie, too. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I can see that completely. Okay, I mean, I'll go into mine here. To start out with, this isn't one of my favorite King adaptations. I mean, I don't. It's not a bad movie to me by any stretch. Not like some of the reviews. I, I, I ain't gonna sit there and go with King on it and say it was like you know bl- flavorless or bland. <laughs> I don't agree with that. But I think I still feel it's overall solid. My big problems are with the film is I do feel like the film is over long. You know what we was talking about where there was some scenes that could have been trimmed and everything. I think you could have trimmed about 10 minutes out of this movie and it wouldn't have hurt it. Because there was some of it, it kept repeating the same information that we already had. And I'm just like, well, we don't really need that. You could just bypass that and do yeah. something else. That's an issue that I, I have with this movie. And I mean, it, it's not a deal breaker by any stretch of the imagination. I feel like, I mean, Martin Sheen's character, I never really got a bead on him. Exactly. He seemed to be just kind of there. Do you kind of feel like he was almost playing like Stilson again? I think he was just more excited and, and like just wanted to do something like huge and yeah. be known for it. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, cause to me, that's almost what Stilson was like, yeah. you know, with the nuclear. Yeah. Thing but like movie. when he went in there and was going to kill that editor and all this stuff, I didn't get this feeling because I didn't catch that scene where you said he had the thing is cloth in his hand. Yeah. That's the only scene I would have thought of. Like he seems dangerous. Yeah. Like if I had seen that. I don't know. I just kind of feel like maybe, and I don't blame this on, on Martin Sheen because he did step into this part at the last minute due mm-hmm. to uh, Burt Lancaster not being able to do it. Yeah. But I just kind of feel like that he never really got a bead on this character. And, yeah. and I mean, his performance, it, was, it wasn't terrible. Yeah. But it just kind of felt like he couldn't really figure out what to do with it. He wasn't really a deep character. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I mean, yeah. Stilson, Stilson was a little more rounded of yeah. a character out of the two because you've seen a little bit more into him, mm-hmm. you know, his manipulation and stuff like that, like playing to the crowds and the mm-hmm. things, but then you've kind of seen what he was like behind, mm-hmm. you know, closed door. I love the score to this movie. Yeah. I think I mentioned that earlier on Tangerine Dream, which I thought was a great, <laughs> uh, that's a great score that they did for this movie. 
the effects, like I said, are, are very good by compare, particularly by comparison of the new new one, which is very sad to say. The performances, for the most part, I thought were great. I know a lot of people criticize uh, David Keith. Is a, really? And, yeah, they say that he wasn't that good, but I got to looking at it. He played the part on how I figured that character should be played. He's tired. He's haggard. He's got these brain lesions probably from yeah. all using that push so much. And you could kind of tell that he was just seemed like he was just a very tired guy. And I feel like once he lost his wife, yeah. it just took the wind out of him. Yeah. And I even got the sense, you know, when you look at him, he knew he probably didn't have a lot of time left. It's almost like, how you look at the dead zone and John, John mm-hmm. Smith, every time he used his, it was killing him. Draining him. And every time Andy used his, it was killing <clears> him. Because you can imagine the damage that does to your brain. Well, it's like I was saying, I think King described it every time he used it, it was almost like a wet snap in his skull. Wow. I mean, it's like I said, I do have problems with this. I feel like I wish there was more to the ending because I really dislike the shop things so much that I would love to seen her destroy more of it and just take a little bit extra time with that. Well, apparently the shop survives because I think what books it's the Langoliers and the Tommyknockers. The shop is in those books. Wow. I think it's at least those two. I think the mist it's mentioned in there too, but I can't remember about that one. It's like I said, I've been very conflicted about this movie over the years just due to some of those things. I mean, I think Drew Barrymore is great in it. That's one thing that I can say. Her and George C. Scott are yeah, actually... The stars of the movie. Yeah, cause, yeah, and they play off each other really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things that really impressed me every time I watch it because he's like this old kind of gruff seasoned yeah, actor and she's very young. There's a part of me that wants to believe him, yeah. that he really is... Well, that. and that's why, to me, I feel he's such a good actor yeah. because he makes you yeah. believe that. Yeah, he seems so nice and yeah. he smiles so friendly, but then there's this lethal part behind yeah. that. There you go. I don't know. I mean, overall, my review is going to come with some, you, you'll, you'll, you'll know why when I do it. Okay. I guess out of one to ten fireballs, originally... This was going to get a high six. But then I thought about the remake. And then I watched the remake. And mm-hmm. I thought how much worse this could be done. So now the movie gets an eight. Because, like I said, I just I felt like the pace of this movie is just... It could be trimmed up, like I said, and mm-hmm. kind of make it flow a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And, like I said, I thought Sheen... Of course, I can't blame him for his part and everything. And I think my big problem is is some stuff I wish they would develop more instead of retreading over other stuff that we already knew. But like I said, originally it was been a high six, but now it's an eight because of how bad that 2022. Because you can actually see like, okay, <laughs> this one, that remake makes this one a better film by yeah. default now. So if you would give that one a five or a six, you need to be higher. Uh, God, I wouldn't even know if I'd go wow. five or six or five or six with that other one. No, I don't even know if I would go there. Wow. Uh, I would say being generous, a four. Wow. And that's me being generous. It'd be a four. 
I do recommend this movie. I know there's a lot of haters for this movie out there because, trust me, I've seen a few of them that's talked about this movie. I'm in some Stephen King groups on Facebook, and they don't seem to speak too fondly of this movie. You must drop it in those groups. Oh, oh, it will be. Oh, it will be. But um, it's like I said, it's not a perfect movie. Don't go into expecting it to be perfect. Mm -mm. But for if you want one, because this book actually follows, or it's, it's actually follows the book fairly well yeah i mean they do change some stuff around and everything but let's follow the book fairly well so i would recommend it if you enjoy the book but don't go into expecting it to be perfect yeah and that's pretty much my review right there on this one and now i guess uh sherry kind of came up with something of doing a top three of films with uh, drew barrymore and on yeah. and i thought we would go ahead and do this and I guess since this was uh, your idea, I'm going to let you start out here and uh, go with your third uh, Drew Barrymore film. Okay, my list is a complete chick flick list. Oh, well, that's all right. So my number three is Boys on the Side. It had Whoopi Goldberg in it. It had, I don't know the girl's name that was in Fried Green Tomatoes. She was in this movie. I've never seen this movie. I don't know anything oh, about it. You don't know? It's about women going on a girl's trip. Drew Barrymore is a battered woman. Her boyfriend's Billy Warwick from Lost Boys. Oh. You know, there's a scene that he beats the living crap out of her in front of... Well, he actually gets beats Whoopi Goldberg up because they come to... Uh, get her to go on their trip and he doesn't want her to go. Yeah. He gets in a fight with Whoopi Goldberg. He hits her. I think Drew Barrymore jumps on his back. She ends up beating him with a ball bat. Then as she's leaving, she flashes their bare titties at him. Oh. <laughs> no, I mean, I, this that, this movie don't sound familiar to I me at all. I think she's a battered woman. Whoopi Goldberg is gay. And the other girl, I cannot remember that woman's name. Yeah. She has AIDS. And it's about them dealing with, I think Whoopi Goldberg's kind of kind of in the closet. And she loves the one with AIDS. And the one with AIDS is kind of dealing with, how do you find someone to love you when you have AIDS? And she meets a man on the road and, like, she tells him and then she feels like he's just giving her pity sleeping with her it's just like like a chick flick like dealing with your your issues yeah it's been a while since i've seen it okay that was i guess i was out in the 90s sometime yep i think all these were in the 90s oh okay so, so yours is yeah. very 90s yeah. yeah very 90s yeah okay uh yeah but uh like i said i've never seen it i think i've heard of it but i've never seen yep. it but uh that's your number three what is it again boys, boys on the side boys on the side okay mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I've never seen it, but yeah, it sounds like if you're up for a chick flick, you're going to get a few of them here. <laughs> so yep. uh, my top three, they aren't in any real particular order. They're just three different kinds of movies. And my first one uh, right down here off the bat is, of course, one she's probably the most well-known for, and that is E.T. And this is probably one of the first times, I mean, first kind of major part she had in a movie in... Even in this movie, she's not the main star of the movie, but you could see even at that young age that she had something as mm. far as just the big screen. Yep. You know, you could see that she had 
had it, I guess yeah. what you could say. The one thing I always remember about her in this movie is just every scene she was in, it was almost like she w- commanded the yeah, screen. A little star. Yeah, a little star in the making. Mm-hmm. I don't need to go into what E.T.'s about. If you don't know <laughs> what E.T.'s about, then where have you been? <laughs> you know, a uh, little alien, Reese's Pieces, wants to go home. That is uh, E.T. Don't make me see it again. I don't like E.T. Team Mac and me. Uh, I I like E.T. I'm a I'm a fan of E.T. It's not my favorite Spielberg movie. Yeah. But I think it's a very good movie. I mean, I do think it's a very good movie. I mean, the movie was like the biggest hit of 82. So, I mean, that, that tells you a lot right there. It stood in everybody, everybody's way. Blade Runner. Yeah. The thing. Yeah, yeah, all of them. Yeah. I mean, this movie dominated 1982. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's highly recommended. Like I said, not my favorite Spielberg, but very good movie. But I guess uh, with that, we will bounce off number two to you. Number two is Never Been Kissed. Now, I do know this one. I've seen this one. It's about a girl who maybe is in her late 20s. And she's a reporter. And she wants to go back and kind of go back to high school and pretend she's high school age. She Mm -hmm. was a nerd in her actual... Wasn't she doing like a story and she was wanting to go undercover? Yeah, undercover and, uh, as a teenager. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, you know, she hasn't dated. She's never kissed a man or anything. And she actually falls in love with the teacher, the male teacher. But she's supposed to be acting like a teenager. She's actually his age. She can't really, you know, step out of and, and be really who she is. To be with him. And I think he feels kind of like he's attracted to her, but he knows he shouldn't be because she's supposed to be a young girl. She's supposed to be in high school. I remember going to the theater to see this one. I liked this movie. Yeah. I mean, it's been a while since I watched it, but I remember I liked it a lot because she was, she was really good in it too. Yeah. But yeah. She did a good job. Yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, any movie I've seen her in, she's been good in it. But So if you hadn't seen it, go back and watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's been a while since I watched it, but I do remember I liked it. But uh, so that is your number two. Mm-hmm. Okay, my number two is a movie called Far From Home from 1989. How can I sum this up? This is basically a whodunit in a trailer park. Uh, it's Drew Barrymore and her dad is played by Matt Frewer, who you might know as Max Headroom. <laughs> um, and I think the trash can man in the stand. Their uh, uh, daughter and dad, who are kind of broke down in this small town, and they just have to, they can't get out of town at the moment because their car's destroyed, you know, blown. I think their engine's blown or something. So they go to stay at this trailer park, and there are these murders that start happening around the trailer park. Like mm-hmm. I said, it's kind of like a whodunit, kind of maybe even a little bit of a slasher, maybe kind of off the perimeter of a slasher. Mm-hmm. I can't say this is a great movie. Drew Barrymore and Matt Frewer are really good in this movie. I mean, it's like their performances kind of hold up the movie. The movie is just kind of an atypical kind of whodunit kind of slasher movie. But I feel like it's worth watching for how good they are in it. This movie it might be a little bit hard to find. I haven't watched I watched it on YouTube last time, probably about 10 years ago. That's oh, the wow. last time I've seen it. <laughs> but I'd say if you can find it, don't go into this expecting the next Oscar film or anything <laughs> like that, because it is not that. Mm-hmm. But if you want just something like a lazy Sunday afternoon movie, 
this is worth watching. But I would say uh, check it out. It's uh, Far From Home from 1989. And I guess now we will jump into your number one. Um, my number one is Ever After. It's like Take On Cinderella. I've seen this one too. I went and to the theater to see this one. She's actually kind of the Cinderella character where she, you know, and her dad, her mother's dad, he marries evil stepmother mm-hmm. with two stepdaughters. One of them's nice. The other's evil. Um, You know, she kind of does the, uh, she's a poor servant girl, but she ends up going and meeting the prince and he falls in love with who he thinks she is, but she's actually a poor servant girl. Yeah. I mean, it follows the main themes of Basically Cinderella. Cinderella, yeah. But it, she's great in this movie. I love this movie. Yeah, I I went to the theaters to see mm-hmm. this. I really like this movie too. Yeah. It's been now it's been a while since I've seen this one too. Yeah, um, me too. Um, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a good while since I've seen this. I but probably I haven't seen it in ten years. Yeah, so. it's, it's been at least that long for me, if not longer than that. But I do remember I liked this movie a lot. I, I mean, this is once again this was a movie she was really good in it. She has a scene. There's one scene she's she's calling the stepmother out. And, you know, this is kind of like a fairy tale movie, but this moment she has is so deep and so heartfelt when she's going at the stepmother. Like, why did the stepmother not love her and mm. care about her? Yeah. You know, that she stole all the dad's money and everything, sold his, good, you know, all his jewels and all this stuff. And it it's... She's really good in this movie. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I do remember, like I said, pretty much about any movie I've seen her in, she's been mm-hmm. good in. So, But yeah, it's been a while. It's definitely been a while on that one. But So is that a, yep. that's all you that's got? That's my on number that? one. Okay. Well, my number one is going to kind of stick to the, the month's theme here. And uh, round out with the month's theme. And this is a movie called Cat's Eye from 1985. It's a Stephen King kind of adaptation mm-hmm. um three stories one of them's called quitters inc one of them's called the ledge and the other one's called the general and drew barrymore's character kind of centers more into the last story the general and it's about this little goblin who tries to steal children's souls and this cat goes through this whole movie in these three different stories trying to get to the drew barrymore character because this cat ends up saving her Oh. Or trying to save her. The parents are having a problem with it. I think I've seen that. Kind of familiar. It's, it's, I love the movie. It's yeah. like, it's just a fun movie. But You got a copy of it? Yeah. I'm going to watch it. This cat, I just remember that last story. The cat is trying to save this little girl. And then the mom and dad want to get rid of the cat because oh, they're afraid no. the cat's trying to hurt her. They've put, oh, send no. it to a, a animal shelter. Oh. And it's, I mean, it's... It's just a fun movie. It's just a whole lot of fun. It's not as dark and weird as stuff like Creepshow or anything (laughs) like that, but it does have some pretty far out stuff in it. And it's just like I said, I figure I'll not only love this film, but she's, of course, really good in it. And I kind of feel like this one kind of hit the theme of what we were doing and rounding out this Stephen King month. End it with a Stephen, another Stephen King thing here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Cat's Eye is my number one. And like I said, it's just, it's a fun movie. If you like anthologies and Stephen King and this one might fly up under your radar, definitely worth checking out. And uh, I guess with that, uh, we're going to wrap it up and we're going to wrap up this episode. Yep. Um, 
uh, send us an email at themovieclinic at gmail.com and that's T-H-A, not T-H-E. Uh, write in. Tell us some of your favorite Stephen King adaptations. Is there any you would like for us to cover? I'd be very curious to hear. You know, like I said, Sherry's talked about The Shining. Maybe we'll mm-hmm. end up pulling that one out here at some point. Yeah, I thought about doing the original It. Yeah. It'd be long. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that, the miniseries. Oh, we yeah. might have a two-parter. Two-parter, but... yeah. And also, you can go to our Facebook page and leave us any comments <clears throat> or questions there. I try to post uh, movie news and things like that on there to kind of, you know, keep everybody up to date on things. Main website is themovieclinic.com. Yeah, um, and you can go there and get the episodes, or you can get the episodes off of Anchor. Or I think our show is pretty much on every podcast platform out there, from what I understand, because I keep hearing people download it from different places, so yeah. it must be <laughs> out there everywhere. But if it's somewhere that you would like for it to be, let us know, and we'll see if we can put it there. But I guess outside of that, I guess, like I said, we're going to be shutting it down. And we will talk to you again next next month, I guess. And until then, I'm David. I'm Sherry. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.